Hi, and welcome to Chaco Disaster, the world's first and premier anime podcast. I'm Chorpsaway. And I'm Jordan. And today, instead of talking about some of the animes we've watched, we're going to talk about all the animes we've watched. Every single one. It's time for the official 30th anniversary of the Chaco Disaster <laughs> Anime of the Year Awards. It's Can you been, believe we've been doing this for 30 years? It's been 30 indeterminate units of time since we first started doing this podcast. <laughs> and boy howdy, has it been just a treasure. Yeah. And so, this year we're gonna, we're gonna talk about some of our favorite animes, some of our least favorite animes, the ones that have left an impression on us in some way or another. Mm-hmm. And so no news today, we're just gonna get right to it. We'll save the news for uh, when we do the season in review of fall. Exactly. We can save it for then. For yeah. now, let's just keep in mind the best of the best. All right. So, uh, the first couple are going to be ones that we're not giving proper awards to. I've actually printed out gold awards for all of these anime. Okay, and we're going to send them to the appropriate <laughs> studios. <laughs> exactly. But these first ones, um, Jordan uh, discussed when we were going through the categories that these were ones that he would not be like able to recall well enough to give proper awards to, but no. things that we kind of want to discuss. I have bad memory. Yeah. And that's okay. We don't judge him for that. Oh, thank you. So, the first one that we're gonna kind of unofficially talk about is best animation. So whether that be the art style, the direction, just the fluidity, we're gonna talk about the things we just, like, were blown away by how they looked. TQ6. Yeah, exactly. TQ was uh, incredible, a treasure. I don't know how they do it every time, man. <laughs> season after season. And they don't ever get breaks. It's just, ah, oh, can't believe them. No, but um, some of, I think, especially from this last season, Concrete Revolution, if nothing else, a fantastic art style. Yeah, definitely. Everything's vibrant and distinct, and I feel like it doesn't ever get too busy. Um, not visually, no. Not visually, at least. No. Yeah, for the animation, it's just like, all the colors are vibrant and expressive and kind of give definition to each character. That kind of separates them out. Yeah. Because they all have kind of wacky hair colors, but none of them, like, blend in with all the other wacky ones. No, it's, I think it's really impressive that they have a show that is so saturated and colorful, but it's still, it never feels... Like, the colors are too loud or clash, clash with each other, which is right. a feat in and of itself. Because it's easy to make a show that's, like, mostly Earth colors look fine. Mm -hmm. But with bright colors, that's a lot more difficult. It, it becomes more about, like, proper uses of palette and stuff. Yeah, especially when the colors aren't always, like, synced with each other. Yeah. Because they'll, they'll have, like, bright yellows and purples and everything, like, kind of shoved into one frame, but you never feel like, ugh. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, wow, this is really vibrant. And they do that with, like, the effects, too. When, uh, like, when they do magic or have any of the superpowers activate, it's always, like, it always seems like it fits. Yeah. And, it, I mean, it's not even limited to the colors, too. Like, it's really well animated. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there has been a single part of it yet where I've been like, oh, this is definitely, this. you can tell that they skimped out and didn't have enough time for this part. Right. Or anything like that. It always feels like they were on time with everything, so they had time to kind of fine-tune all of the action and stuff. Yeah, and I don't think... There hasn't been any 3D either, has there? I don't think so. And if there has been, it's been really well-masked. Maybe in, yeah. like, explosions and FX and stuff, but... But it definitely hasn't, like... 
even when they have like the centaur mech, it's always like drawn yeah. and stuff, or the big, you know, the big aliens that show up. It's honestly impressive. Yeah. Thanks, Bones. Thanks, Bones. So that's so that one is big. Um, I think Gangsta also uh gets at least a you know at least a nod here. Because okay. I think Gangsta does a really good job of um like taking the art from the manga and putting it to animation. That is a good point, actually, yeah. Like, because it's not a very, like, typical sort of anime style. It's a lot no. more gruff, a little more Western. I a think lot of angles. It, yeah, it definitely makes its way well into there. Um, the action can be a little iffy because kind of everything's moving so fast. But I think still it's a very strong contender for, like, having a solid animation all the way through, a solid art style, and kind of being able to express exactly what it wants to about sort of, like, kind of the the grittiness of the world while not, like, skimping out on anything. Yeah. Because it is definitely, like, a grayer sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And also, um, in particular, it made very good use of light. Like, all the different scenes were very differently lit and all the locations were, which I think was really cool. Because mm-hmm, sometimes they're in the alleys, sometimes they're out in public, sometimes they're in, like, the bar. And yeah. they all have their own distinct look and feel to them. Yeah, because it's like, the bar is completely dark, um, and then the house of the two main characters is also dark, but there's, like, light coming through the blinders and stuff. Mm-hmm. But then, for example, the doctor's office is al- is always properly lit. Um, and then the big restaurant that we first see in the final couple of episodes has like, uh, c- like scenic lighting mm-hmm. and so it all looks very different. And that's, um, not something you see in every anime. Yeah, for sure. Um, of course, shout outs to One Punch Man. Yeah. Uh, One Punch Man on a middle budget. Uh, a lot of people like go, oh, it must've been a big budget thing. It's a middle budget thing, but they, I think it's the love and care for the, for the source material that really makes it stand out. I'm also probably, like, good management. Yeah. And one thing I thought was interesting when they discussed it at the beginning of the uh, anime was this is the first time Madhouse is going all digital. Oh, okay. So they they have, so there's no, like, um, there's no, like, paper or anything. It's all done on the computer doing all the sketching and everything with a lot of, like, I think, like, new artists, a lot of new artists who are using digital and stuff and, like, web animators that have yeah. been picked up. So I think that was a really interesting choice, and I think it worked out well. That does probably save on, like, time, because then, like, steps like having to scan in all the drawings and stuff can be yeah. skipped. It definitely, and it definitely just has a, again, it has consistent style throughout. It knows when to go serious and when to go silly and stuff like that. And I, and all the action is just, like, immaculately done. Yeah, it's all really well done. Maybe not as immaculate as the manga. <laughs> No, it's it was really weird seeing the one part from like episode three where uh Speed of Sound Sonic. Yeah, and seeing that it was less animated than it was in the yeah. webcomic. Even yeah. I, I think it made it like a sillier scene in the anime, which works fine. Yeah. But yeah, it was weird. But like a lot of the like um like when Genos and um Saitama spar. Yeah. I think that was still like just as well done as, you know, like put together. Yeah. There's actually, uh, like, a reason as to why all the, like, really infamous, like, flip book scenes from the original uh, web manga are gone in the anime, and that's because they adapted the Tonkoban version 
of oh, One okay. Punch Man, which doesn't have any of that stuff because there wouldn't just wouldn't be enough room on the pages. <laughs> right, they'd have to print like three times as many pages. Yeah, which I mean, fair. Mm-hmm. It's totally fair. It was really, I mean, not really weird, but it was kind of like strange to me that uh, the entire like series looked so good throughout. Even and then in the OP, which is usually where like a large amount of the budget goes, just because you have to see that twelve times. Right. Uh, it was the OP where they use like three D. There's actually a lot of three D in the OP. Yeah, there's there's a surprising amount. And it, yeah, so that's that was like it's whatever. It's actually pretty well done too. Like when you see a bunch of the Saitama fists come out, mm-hmm. that's three D and it looks really good. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was just something that stuck out to me as being a little strange. But I'm sure they had their reasons. Yeah. Trust Madhouse. Yeah. Bless them. Um, one I wanted to point out in particular was um, Ranpo Katan. Because I think as a mystery series, it did something that was kind of clever as it like introduced characters. So it has its main characters all like fleshed out, drawn, and everything. Yeah. But anyone in the background is done as like a, a silhouette, kind of like a police silhouette, sort of like hiding identities of people that don't matter and unimportant. And then as their characters are introduced... They'll go from being these silhouettes and you'll see them kind of fade into actual characters as they, oh, okay. you know, play into the plot and they get a little like title card of their name and their occupation. Hmm. And I thought that was really neat. And there are a lot of other like nice touches to help with that sort of mysterious air. They have like, they have like sequences when they're solving mysteries where kind of everything disappears and it becomes, and the, and they where they are becomes a stage and they kind of play out what happened in the mystery with themselves. And so, and there are a lot of really neat presentation things going on there. You know what else did the um, background characters or silhouettes thing? What? A rupee. Oh, really? Oh, I yeah. guess so. Well, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's a different reason. Okay. Entirely. But um, there's, or like, um, I know in like Mawaru Penguin Drum, they do an equivalent of that where anyone that isn't important just shows up as one of those like, you know, you know the little, uh, the little white characters on the walk signs at stop, uh, at like stoplights. Yeah, sure. Everyone just shows up as those, oh, <laughs> bouncing up and down. <laughs> Which I mean, I think it's a visually distinct thing that helps like bring focus to you know the actual important characters instead of like getting muddled with a whole bunch of other like generic designs. Yeah. Do you have anything else you wanted to add for this section um, that stood out to you? I feel like it. Some credit um, deserves to go to K Return of Kings. Okay. Not because, because, I mean, that's not a very good show, like, just from a story perspective and even from an animation perspective because it's all over the place, both in quality and art style. Yeah. Um, but I think the thing that made it interesting is that it was very clear that um, they directed the show exactly the way they wanted it to be and never shied away from doing something because they figured it would be too hard or take too much time. Right. Like almost every single shot in that show, uh, the camera perspective is rotating or changing, mm-hmm. which you don't see a lot in anime or you do, but what you'll see is that a lot of shots are stationary because then less stuff has to be animated and animating a camera rotating around something is really hard. Yeah. Especially when it's something like, uh, in particular, that scene from K where the guy's, like, jumping over a car that's moving. Yeah. Um, because when you're drawing someone moving and the camera just keeps the same perspective, you can always use the previous frame for reference. But when a camera is rotating around something, you really can't do that. So it just all comes down to, like, how good you are at drawing. Um, so, you know, uh, it was impressive. Yeah. Uh, it may not have been the best-looking show 
or the best animated show, but it was the most animated show of 2015. <laughs> as far as I understand, K has an issue where, like, a third or a quarter of the way through production, they just, like, fall behind because of that sort of stuff, and that's when it just starts, like, eating shit as far as quality. Yeah. Oh, speaking of running behind, uh, God Eater. Yeah, God Eater. Oh, immaculately drawn, but mm-hmm. it is it is going to take... 34 weeks to air a 13 episode anime. Yeah. Because they, um, they were late out of the starting gate, they've constantly had delays, and now it's last four episodes or next season. Also really a uh, sublime blend of 2D and 3D animation. Yeah, I honestly can't tell, you know, a lot of the time if it's 2D or just like, or 3D, because it's just like that uh, fluid. Yeah. And it's all done in a very like neat sort of shading style where there's no lines everything is just the color of what it needs to be yeah and there's like heavy filtering over top of all the flat colors too um so you know yeah i mean bless them for like making sure to stick to their own guns kind of like k but they're taking the time and kind of suffering for it but i appreciate it yeah that's it okay so next up again the our last unofficial official award is the best cast and I think a cast is always important because no matter how nice an anime looks, if you don't care about the characters, and it's, you know, it's gonna, it's not gonna stick with you. No. So I put this on as just like a group of characters that all work well together or, you know, are good foils for each other, that sort of thing. I think you're gonna have to go at this one alone mostly because this is not... <laughs> this is not anything you remember about a no. show. So, for example, I think that uh, a show both uh, both of us watch, like um, Akagami no Shiro Yukehime, mm-hmm. that has a very solid cast because everyone's able to play off of each other. Sure. You have a villain who shows up in episode one as sort of a weakling and then shows up again as even more weakling, kind of a joke character, but he knows how to interact with these characters because he already has. Yeah. And you have um, Shiroyuki herself who, you know, stands up to other people, still, like, has her own goals and everything, and interacts with these characters in different ways, depending on her relationship sort of thing. There's a very active sense that things are happening with these characters and that they matter. Yeah. It's not like they're just falling into the same, like, situations over and over. Characters develop, characters grow, and change how they interact with people to show that. Um, I can say this about uh, Shiryukihime, and that's mm-hmm. that. Uh, the character, the prince, starts off in the first episode, and he's like kind of a dick, and it's difficult to imagine how this character can ever become like the relatable love interest or the mm-hmm. like appreciable love interest, I guess. Uh, but they pull it off, and like in the first episode, he does a good job of being kind of a standoffish dick, and then after that, he does a good job of not being that. Yeah, he 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 kind of mellows out. Yeah, like, he starts out kind of like very pompous, confident. And then he kind of shows more true colors. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important thing as well. Yeah. Um, I think, like, Death Parade has a good sense of character. More so, I think, in particular, when they did, like, the difference between um, the two Arbiters. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because we have one that's kind of, like, takes it very seriously, is very much into kind of trying to give the best possible experience, and one of them is just ready for all of the humans to die as they go through. Yeah. Just kind of sick of it. And I think that shows an, a good, um, a good like, foil sort of thing for those two, especially when it comes down to, like, the bigger conflict 
as how to deal with different people and how to deal with the situations as a whole. Right. Because it really plays into what the bigger plot is. That these two characters are so wholly different and one of them is having, like, is being affected by the people that come through and how they react and stuff. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I can't. Yeah. This is not my category. I also almost want to say that this is something that we shouldn't cover at all. Just really? because neither of us, I mean, we're doing it now, so it's fine. But <laughs> the thing is that neither of we don't speak Japanese. So for us, the experience of like... Is much different, yeah. It's, yeah, like these performances could just be really mediocre. And we maybe wouldn't be able to tell. Yeah. We have to go a lot after what, because I, some subtlety is lost uh, yeah. between languages. Regardless of what's going to happen or which direction it goes. Something's going to be lost in translation. So this is the best we can do to kind of see these characters and how they work together and how they interact. Yeah. But boy, do we try our damnedest. We t yeah. Um, I guess this kind of counts, but, um, or maybe it kind of doesn't. But uh, considering the fact that Funimation dubs are usually not the highest caliber... Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that the uh, the disappearance of uh, Nagato Yuki-chan had such a good dub was impressive. Okay. Yeah. Did that help? I did. Did it help your experience in that it was like well directed? Uh, yes, because um, this more so than uh, just the fuck. What, <laughs> what's the original series called again? <laughs> no, it's not the disappearance of Haruhi. The, uh, the melancholy of Haruhi. There we go. Um, that is a very different... <laughs> We're such fake nerds. <laughs> uh, Melan uh, Melancholy of Haruhi is a very different show than this was, because this is more like Disappearance, in that it's very, like, homely and slow, and it sort of deals with uh, very common emotions, and that's something that I just wouldn't have uh, been able to, like, come through to me as much if I just watched the original version. That would have or... been really easy to mess up in a dub as well. Yeah, exactly, and they they did a good job, so... Mm-hmm. Okay. There's at least one more I want to just say as like, as a world building sort of thing creates sort of something where you can feel a relationship to characters and you can know how everyone kind of plays into their roles. Okay. Gangsta, again, does a really good job of that. Mm, definitely. Because you, you're immediately given like these different factions and sort of stuff and, you know, who works for who, how each one deals with certain relationships. And then you have, you know, the, uh, the main two, the, handymen who kind of work outside of that so they're constantly interacting with everyone and you know neutral parties and these different huge kind of mafioso-esque families and so you see everything from every side it's it helps really well with like world building trying to understand and relate to characters because you see all of them and how they interact in different situations because you see how they all like all the mafioso heads act when they're together yeah. and you see how they all act when they're separate and kind of the differences between how they handle themselves and how they handle other people plays a big role into the character dynamics going on. All right, yeah, that's a good one. And then there's also, uh, of course, the fact that they did a good job of making a deaf person sound like an actual deaf person. Because yeah. I've had, uh, you know, series or movies, like, have done that wrong in the past. So it's commendable to a degree. And I think they actually did it pretty well with the dub as well. I watched a bit of that. And they... They, it's a little, like, just kind of mush-mouthy, mm -hmm. but it's still, I think, something that really helps out with sort of the 
the immersive factor. Yeah. He they does... don't just have someone perfectly speaking. It's it's clear that he has some issue with actually speaking because he's not used to it. Yeah. And that and that's an important thing when you create a character that has a trait like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, I, I do have um, one instance of this. Oh, well, heck. And that is um, Sorigas uh, Seiyu, mm-hmm. uh, which did a good job of differentiating uh, between the characters just being themselves and the characters voicing characters in, like, the series within this. Okay. Um, which, you know, my, it could be difficult because, of course, in every case, it's a real voice actor doing this. Yeah, there there are a lot of voice actors playing voice actors, which is, like, already, like, a weird kind of experience. Yeah, it's just like when actors play actors in a movie, it's, you know, it's like this triple layer of stuff, and... If you, as an audience like uh, member, don't em- ever end up thinking about it, that means that they did it well. Mm-hmm. So you know, good job for sure. All right, and so that's our unofficial official awards. Now we get to the official awards, the ones that I've meticulously printed out trophies for. Okay. So first up, starting something a little light, we want to talk about the best opening uh, in the in 2015. All right. Is the What's Up People Award for Best OP. And this is both as far as, like, animation direction and also the song involved. Yeah. So you start with some of your you know, some of your picks for what you thought was good. All right. So uh, what we did for this is we each, we just put together, like, a list, however long it would be, of openings we liked. And then we cut it down to five nominees. And then from those five nominees, we picked one winner. Yeah. Um, so here are my five nominees. Uh, there's Hello World by Bump of Chicken uh, from the series Kekai Sensen, which is probably like the weirdest of my five picks because it, when we first talked about that opening on the show, none of us liked it that much. It was, yeah, because I think with that one, especially at the start when it was a lot more of a lighthearted sort of series, it was a weird like dissonance yeah. sort of thing. Where it, it kind of promises a grittier look at the sort of, like, hellish New York. And then it's very much a sillier sort of series. But as the series went on, it started to fit better. Yeah. Because it the plot became much more serious, a little more dark. And especially um, the big thing with the big finale, the, like, twi- double, double length one. Mm-hmm. They have a huge sequence set to the opening. Yeah. And I think that helped make it fit a lot better as a song for the series well i actually i actually never even watched the finale uh, because okay. the show had lost me by then that's fair. but i did at least get to the part where there were a couple episodes that were like very definitively focused on leo and i think uh because he is just like this uh like kid for who like the whole situation he's caught up in is too big but still he remains like kind of like calm and he's very like he does not, his best. He's not outgoing. Yeah, I think it fits really well. Yeah, definitely yeah. it starts to it starts to fit better as Leo becomes the primary focus. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's one. Uh, then another nominee I have is um, Renegade by Stereo Dive Foundation for mm-hmm. Gangsta. Um, this is one, it, like, its relation to the series itself is kind of tenuous, I guess. Right, because the opening is kind of just uh, the characters a little bit and then also a lot of, like, uh, prostitutes and drugs. Yeah, but it's just a it's just a kick-ass song. Yeah, it it pumps you up for the series, which is very much like a hot-blooded sort of series. Yeah. 
gets you gets you pumped up with you know big big kind of bombastic bass and lyrics that don't really like hit any big high points but just work really well with the music yeah and also very good use use of vocal sampling yes yeah all right uh so next up uh, nominee number three is um uh flyers by bradio from death parade Mm -hmm. and this is first of all it's just a really it's a really fun song like right off the bat like it just catches you with the huge funk horns play it's just boom you're already right into it Mm -hmm. and it's got it's got great vocals and it like it also has just the animation that's tied to it which has for the most part very little to do with the show until it gets to the end yeah, this is the same sort of dissonance with, like, Kekai Sensen, but in the opposite direction. Yeah. It promises a very fun time, and then it just, like, gets heavy emotional. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's very dissonant with the show, but that's interesting because the show's, like, earlier and later episodes are also very different. I think with the song in particular, like, the animation's all well done. It almost feels synced as well. Like, yeah. as soon as, like, the chorus hits, it gets to the part where all the characters are dancing along with it. Uh-huh. And that's, like, a big part. It's, like, all the other ones, they're, like, having fun, you're kind of introduced to the concept, and then it hits the chorus, and everything just feels like it, you know, they worked really hard on getting this to work together. Yeah, and there's also the part where they're, like, sing along to the background, backup vocals. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah, there are some really just nice directions as far as that opening. Just real good. Um, so that was number three. Uh, number four is uh, the theme of Lupin the Third, uh, done by you and Explosion Band for, of course, Lupin the Third. Right. This uh, is a remix of the original theme. Yeah. And it's just man, what a jam! It yeah. Again, it's another thing that sort of just like gets you really pumped up for it. Like the opening, like sting with the trumpets as everyone's like as like Lupin's preparing. He's like making the shoot. Uh, uh, He's putting his shoes together and everything. And then as soon as the the main bit hits, you know, like he kicks out, he's driving along. It, it gets you right into the action. It's, it gets you ready for like a good 70, 70s, like heist thriller. Yeah, it's it's perfect for what it does, I think. Mm-hmm. And just like the, the direction and everything on it's really nice. Like, um... <laughs> like when they get to the, uh, the, the chase sequence in the opening... And the characters are so like uh differently animated than everything else. Like the like the cars are like pseudo three D and very like cartoony. Uh-huh. And then you see the characters pop out of them. Yeah. <laughs> and while it's like dissonant, it I think still like fits sort of the mood because Loop in the Third is a very like silly sort of series. Yeah. So that's uh number four. And then the last one is uh Hey Kids by the Oral Cigarettes for Noragami Aragoto, <laughs> which is a uh it's a very, it's a very unique song. It's um, the kind of thing you wouldn't really expect uh, for an anime opening, especially not for Nor- especially not for Norigami, because it doesn't really. It's like uh, it's a jazz rock, like calypso rock sort of thing. Uh, it's very like it, it grabs you with how different the, these kinds of melodies are for what is performed by a rock band, um, and that is then like set to a backdrop of a show that is very. Not really slow paced, but it's very like down, like uh, not a lot of heavy emotions. Like it's very, it's it's a fantasy show, but it's um, its characters are very real. Mm-hmm. So, and then I have this opening that's like very 
eclectic and larger than life. It's an interesting contrast. And maybe it doesn't really make sense for the show, but they've done this twice now because the first season also had a very, very bombastic opening. But whether or not it was intentional that it's like sort of doesn't go along with the show itself, it's just a great opening. Also, the Oral Cigarettes is like a really good name for a band. Yeah, that is a good name for a band. There's just something about Japanese bands like Bump a Chicken, you know, (laughs) You and Explosion Band. Just like the names that they choose are just great. Absolutely. Like pseudo, pseudo like English sort Uh of names. They they stand out and I think that's a big thing. Yeah, I mean, they can't stand out if they're all different in a similar way. Right. And they aren't. So it's nice. So I had four of the five same as Jordan, so I'll ignore those, and I'll Wait, say... You both. should still say which ones yeah, you have. Yeah, so it was the it was Flyers by Bradio for Death Parade, it was mm-hmm. the Loop in the Third, it was Renegade for Gangsta, and it was Hello World for Kakai Sensen. Okay. Those are the ones that we matched up on. Mm-hmm. And then my fifth um, was the um, Everything Becomes F, the Perfect Insider opening, which is uh, Talking by Kanaboom. Um... One thing to note about it is, uh, much like a lot of the other ones, it's sort of dissonant. It's a very, like, funky sort of rock thing for a very, like, low-key, like, super faux-philosophical sort of mystery series. Okay. But I think that it's just got a really good direction to it. Um, The opening is heavily, like very simple versions of all the characters kind of interacting, and it changes throughout the 11 episodes. Oh, that's always neat. Yeah, so, like, things... As you, like, learn more about the mysteries, things start to kind of distort and mess up in different ways, and characters interact a little differently. And all of the motion in it that they have, like, the dancing kind of interacting, is rotoscoped, but not to the point where it's, like, um, like, Akonohana, where it's very real. They still have the very, like, simple like sketchy sort of character arts it's just that the the motion feels more fluid more familiar and kind of makes the whole thing fit a lot better i think okay and the song is just like it it really does get you pumped up not for mysteries but it's just like a it's a really good like funky song that you can get into the feel for kind of bob your head along with all right so those are the nominees and now we will announce our winner which uh both of us have chosen the same winner for this one it is. It's Flyers by Radio for Death Parade. Yay! So I think we can both agree it's just the per- it's just a great opening. Yeah. And it just makes you feel great. It it, it makes you feel good. I had it. It makes you feel good. I had it on my uh, MP3 player for a really long time. And I think one. Uh, I think one thing that also helped push it up for me is seeing the version where the band does the death parade opening to their own song i mean i could that i cannot let that impair my judgment no i i i i was just like oh that's an extra sort of like touch that i think is really nice of the band that yeah that was fun because that was fun and like they didn't have enough people so they just have like i think they just like hired a clown to do one of the <laughs> characters yeah and it's just great. Um, no, it's it's just a lot of fun, and it gets you up so that the show can get you down. Yeah, it does. Um, and I think and I think that worked really well for it. It was for me. It was right up until the end a really close call between this and Hey Kids from Noragami. Mm-hmm. But the reason uh, this one ended up being the winner is that uh, the Noragami opening really kind of loses me by the time it gets to the chorus because the rest of the song is like 
so wild and out there, and then the chorus is just like really standard J Rocky stuff. Mm-hmm. So that kind of just makes me feel a little more eh, on it. Okay, yeah. and I think Death Parade definitely just for the animation had an, like really good direction for everything. Yeah. Like, I think one thing we ignored is, like, as the characters are, like, swinging by on, like, ropes, they have the, the, uh, they have the song going boom, 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 and the big, like, funky sort of, like, font as behind each character as they swing by does the boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of stuff just, like, really well done to it that made it an easy choice for winner. Absolutely. It's just a great, just great all the way through. Yeah. So next up is Best ED, or... I, I tried so hard and got so far award for best ED. <laughs> it's in the ending. Yeah. Oh. Does right. it hurt me? I think you should start this okay. time. So, um, some of the endings that I have on my list. First of all, from uh, Sound Euphonium, we have uh, Tutti by the Kitauji Quartet. Yep. And I think uh, it, and as an ending and as a song really fits this sort of, like, pump-up attitude of, like, the f- the main four characters all having a good time kind of interacting with each other. If only the show was like that. Yeah, exactly. No, we'll save that for later. Okay. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, like, it's, it's, it's a very um, interesting song in that it starts out like a sort of, like, a low-key sort of jazzy thing, and yeah. as soon as it hits the end of the chorus, it's just, like, full-on, like, horns and guitar and you know it's just this huge like kind of ska thing going on it and it really like after after the show it still keeps you like excited yeah it's not trying to like bring you down it's trying to keep you up and i think that is a thing that helps with that series when sort of the the all the themes are about kind of like you know being the best you can be and improving yeah um, I think it does a better job of getting you interested in, or actually really keeping you interested in the show than the opening does. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the opening, uh, for one, it, it goes on, I think, too long, or it doesn't have enough... Differentiation. Yeah, I get, it doesn't have enough going on for it to go for a minute and a half. Uh, whereas the ending is just, you know, it's solid. Um, yeah. And I think it's far more... It's, it just fits a lot better. Um, the opening... I think the opening has a good sense of, like, how to show everything. Like, it shows the wind ensemble, everyone interacting. But the song doesn't do quite as good a job as, like, getting you excited about it. I mean, it's a pretty exciting song, but, I mean, the the series isn't really the kind of big emotion, like, heavy series that the opening sells it as. And I guess the ending isn't really an accurate representation in that sense either. Yeah. But it just, it, it just vibes better with the show, I think. At okay. least at first, maybe not once it starts getting a little heavier, but, you know. Still a good ending. Yeah. So, next up, I have on here um, Assassination Classroom's Hello Shooting Star by Moo Moon. Mm-hmm. And I think... So, Assassination Classroom kind of burned me. Uh, yeah. But I think the ending is a really... If we're ta- talking about how the ending kind of changes how you feel about the series, it's a good way of kind of bringing you down because assassination yeah. class is a very generally a very action heavy shonen sort of thing and the ending is kind of like this very slow moving like uh developing um like chalkboard sort of mosaic of all the characters interacting the sort of like bringing you down giving you kind of a very like light version of everything that's going on yeah it's like a slow acoustic thing the song is really good at just kind of 
Kimi, but it has a good beat to it because once it hits the chorus, the drums bring in kind of you still feel you're like you're moving, but it's definitely bringing you down after a lot of action. Um, but it reminds me of it reminds me a lot of I think it was the second or third ending for Soul Eater um, in that. Well, because Assassination Classroom, it's kind of like emotionally or like tonally, it's all over the place a little bit. Because mm-hmm. sometimes it's like there's a lot of action and sometimes it's goofy, but then sometimes like the actual weight of the story like sort of kicks back in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the ending of this does a good job of bringing everything back down and making you realize, oh, right, this situation is bad and needs to actually get resolved. Right. Which is something similar to what Soul Eater did at a time where it really got where like the character's emotions got out of control and there was a lot of action happening. It has a similar sort of somber, but still sort of cheerful ending. Um, and I think it, um, I mean, I keep like saying this and I feel kind of bad for it because it makes me sound like a one trick pony, but, uh, whereas the other end, like some of the endings or openings we've mentioned so far are totally different from the show for good or for ill. I think in this case, it's good because it, um, because it's a show that constantly starts like putting on these different things that like constantly shifts tone and like even genre a little bit i think it's good to have an ending that just sort of like brings it all back down and makes you remember what like in the grand scheme what's going on and what's important yeah so then next up i have um one from a show that neither of us watched but uh i think the ending is a distinct enough entity that i could put it on the list which is the ending for go princess precure okay which is uh flora by the the, just the cast this was the 3d thing right yeah yeah i think so this is the second ending for it and i thought something that was really interesting and distinct about it is that it is all done in 3d but not in the way that i think a lot of anime try to do 3d it does not sacrifice its style even a little bit so as characters are kind of like panning around, you notice that their mouths are all done like they're drawn. So they're sort of on the side of their face. They're not actually opening. Yeah. It's all as if it were drawn and then like turned into 3D. And I think that's a really fascinating sort of style. The song's pretty good too. And I think it fits sort of the, the like kick ass, like very silly magical girl sort of feel that Precure has. Sure. And just the style of it is like, Doing it in 3D to, like, I guess, save on costs, but not sacrificing any of its style or any of its, um, you know, any of the uh, art, you know, kind of art direction is a fascinating sort of thing that could easily, like, blow up in your face, but I thought worked really well, if a little awkward at times with it. Because, like, the mouths are still a little weird as they're panning across, but it's still a very, like, strong effort in kind of showing that 3D is more than just what it's used for now. And I thought that was really cool. I, yeah, I sort of, I didn't, I don't have this one in my nominees, but I did have it in my original selection. And even though I knew that it was probably never going to make it to the final nominees, I did think that it was at least worth mentioning for being... Yeah, that's kind of why I had it on here, is I just want it to be, I just kind of want people to know about it. Yeah. It's just, it's just neat. Yeah, it's neat. So then after that, I have um, a one of the endings to Rolling Girls, which is called Notenki. And it's by the cast again. And I think this one in particular uh, spoke to me more than the other ones because the way that the ending... So it's a travel series. They're they're traveling across the world kind of just like doing good things and kind of, you know, learning about this sort of like post 
some kind of like post-apocalypse sort of world yeah. where everything's been rebuilt in Japan. And it's an ending that shows that rather like the other endings like nice, but there's no like moving things. This is almost like a, a mini episode condensed into a minute and a half to this song. Cause you see the characters traveling, you see like the map move and you see as they make these different stops, kind of them interacting with each other, with other people getting into the sort of hijinks that happen, especially early on in the show. Okay. And I think it's a really just good, like, summation of what kind of the show is about. Like, it gets to, um, like, they do, like, a campfire scene as at one of the breaks. And during the ending, it's just got all the characters, like, one of them's already fallen asleep and other things like that. And one of them just has this entire chocolate bar shoved in her mouth, <laughs> like, out around the campfire. Same. Right as the song goes, it's a nice day. And just like, <laughs> and it's just like this very nice sort of closing to the end of that first story arc as they're beginning their travels. Yeah. That I thought worked really well. Okay. And then my last one here is from uh, Kakai Sensen. It is Sugar Song and Bitter Step by Unison Square Garden. And when we talked about this originally, we talked about how this seemed much more, um, appropriate or indicative of the series yeah. because it's a very silly sort of thing where every uh, all the characters are on a stage uh in different pairings and stuff all just dancing and they're yeah, all kind of very dressed, poorly yeah very poorly but they're all dressed relatively nice and getting into things like uh you see them dancing and especially a lot and like a lot of them are just really bad at it but trying their damnedest yeah or like they'll like or they'll be like dancing to, uh, you know, together and like one of them will step on another's foot <laughs> or they just end up like giving up and playing cards. But it gives this sort of like feel of all the characters being distinct and having these different relationships. And the song is just like this really nice, like sort of jazzy thing that's going on. It's like a lounge jazz sort of yeah, thing. Very like it's, it's a, it's a chill sort of jazz, but it's also like giving you these little insights on all the characters by the difference in how they dance and kind of, you know, it's subtle and I think it's effective. I think it's, it's not a very good song on its own, but it, uh, it pairs really well with the animation. Oh, for sure. And I also think like the, the, like the, the ending itself is very unique in that it feels more like a Western thing almost where, uh, in an, in an anime ending, you usually don't get it being just this one thing that is shown in a lot of different ways. I yeah, guess. stills or like the background shots or just something kind of grandiose. Yeah. Um. So I think it was different and that was kind of nice. Yeah, it's almost like a curtain call for yeah. every episode, which is a neat little thing. Mm -hmm. Especially given kind of the heavy Western influence. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. So those are my EDs. Yeah. Um, I have uh, three of the same EDs that Chorps picked on my list. I also have the Assassination Classroom ED, the Kekai Sensen ED, and the Sound Euphonium one. And then on top of that, I also have the uh, ending to the first ending to uh, Sokyo no Fafner Dead Aggressor, which is uh, Separation by Angela. Mm -hmm. Um, this one, I thought it kind of like caught me off guard because the animation is, is nothing special. It's just a bunch of stills of characters over a picture of a large river. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I found the song interesting because usually when, um, an ending theme to an anime is like kind of a slow piano ballad, I want to just fucking hop into a coffin and die. Right, cause, because, but this was a very choral sort of thing, wasn't yeah, it? But, yeah, because usually that sort of thing is, like, super boring and generic and just a <laughs> dime a dozen. But this one was, like, it, it just captured me in a way. It was very, um, 
like it was that it was like a slow piano ballad but it was it had a sense of power to it and you could really feel an emotion coming through it even though and even though i hadn't watched the show it still it made me feel something it made me feel for these stills that were being superimposed over picture of river <laughs> and that's why i liked it okay yeah cool uh and then my final one uh, i'm so sorry but it's prism communicate by rory for gate uh-huh and and it's just it's just such a good jam. I couldn't, in good conscience, not put this on my nominees. <laughs> that's fair. I just liked it, man. You know, okay, so I want to talk about something that's not actually related to this real quick, but um, just something, because you brought up Gate, I thought about every time I see the the section of um, the young Blackjack opening, I'm just feeling alive. Yeah. It does that thing where there's, like, helicopters shooting down on, like, this paint, this, like, quaint little, like, grassy area. Uh-huh. And I always think that's the opening of Gate. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I have to keep reminding myself, no, that's a different show. Uh, I am just feeling alive is good, though. Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's all right. I, I just, I, I like the, I just like the chorus. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. this, uh this, we're over openings. Let's go yeah. to endings. So... Those are our ending nominations. Before we say who the winner is, I would like to point out that we obviously we didn't watch every anime this year. That's no man, no one man should watch all the anime, like Kanye said. But you know what we did do? What we did do is we watched every single OP and ED, including like shows that had multiple endings in a season. We sure did. And that so that's over three hundred videos, nearly four <laughs> hours of hot content. That we and died almost watching. We did it over two settings, sittings. Yeah, so two seasons every time, um, and you have to understand that's like two hundred. Sh- uh, that's two hundred videos each time. It's yeah. about fifty shows each season. It, man, it was rough. Um, there are things that there's a certain there's a certain specific electric guitar sound that I never want to hear again in my life. <laughs> And also, I never want to hear a J-pop song again in my life. Except that's not true at all. Except that's not true. I always want to hear J-pop. Every, yeah. Every all damn right. day. We have the same so, winner for this one as well, right? Yeah. So, yeah. the winner of the best ending is Sugar Song and Bitter Step by Unison Square Garden for Yeah. Yeah. What a fun... It's just fun. A it's fun. evocative. It's, it's a really good ending. Yeah. It's very, it's very different, too. Like, you have endings that are just, like... Gen- like super gentle piano ballads or like they like pump up j-pop songs but this like kind of like light funk you don't get you don't get that a lot yeah and it's and it's a lot more animated than most endings yeah for sure and it was almost like it was almost trigger-esque the like animation in the ending that it was very it was very well animated but it was really loose and it didn't mind going off model yeah it, it was all for just the the feeling yeah. of like yeah, it was really good. And as Chorps can attest to, I often just stop watching an episode and go to the next one before the ending is over. Like a fuck? <laughs> <laughs> but this is an ending that I kept watching every time. Okay. So the next one is um, the biggest surprise for 2015. Uh, otherwise known as the Shadowed Out Upskirt Shot Award for Biggest Surprise. <laughs> I forgot about that one. That's good. Yep. It's good. All right. So this one is just 
in some way or another, the show surprised us in some way, whether it like exceeded expectations or just did something particularly well that we weren't expecting. Yeah, but all in a good sense, at least. Yeah, this is all good sense of surprise, like, oh, wow, that's that's really impressive sort of surprise. Yeah. And so you start with this one. All right, my first nominee for this is uh, The Disappearance of Nagato Yuki-chan, because okay. um, I am a huge fan of The Disappearance of Haruhi Suzumiya. It's not fun. so much the actual series? Uh, I don't actually like the series at okay. all. Okay. Um, but I, there was a time when I did, uh, where right. I liked it a lot, but looking back on it, it's honestly not very good. Mm-hmm. But uh, The Disappearance is probably my favorite anime movie because it there's just a certain mood. There's like this uh, this very sort of this slow this slow sadness to it, mm-hmm. but not necessarily. It's not really sadness, but it's like this. It's it's difficult to describe. But melancholy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not really, but close enough. Okay. And. Uh, that like that movie is just like sin- just gives all that feeling so well, and this series did that as well. Even though uh, that movie and the original Haruhi series was done by Kyoto Animation, this show right. was done by someone else, uh, and I had heard bad things about it. But when I ended up watching it, I was really taken by surprise by how good and like just nice and fun it ended up being. I think the bad things you'll hear about it are probably from people who really like Haruhi and expected more of that sort of thing. Maybe. But yeah, it was just... Even... There is, of course, like, the mandatory big Haruhi twist in the middle of the series that I wasn't super into. Shyamalan-esque, in fact. Yeah. Well, no, (laughs) not really. Mm Because it's just... It, it makes the series, like, it takes a swerve halfway through that's, like, really strange, and then afterwards it veers back to being okay. what the show was at first. Um, and it's not, it's it's nothing like the big twist, like, in Har- in the final episodes of Haruhi. Like, it's okay. a lot less important than that, and in the end it doesn't really end up affecting the story much at all. Uh, but it was, I, I wasn't super into that, but... It was all right, and I think the way that resolved was actually pretty touching. Okay. So, no, it was just a damn good show when I didn't expect that it would be. That's good. All right, cool. Yeah. Uh, so, that's my number one. My second one is... um, I'm My number one, I mean the first pick, not the winner. Mm-hmm. Uh, then my second is Ori Monogatari, or My Love Story. Right. Which is just, like, a, a really good and unique uh, shoujo series that, like, had a good sense of humor... And despite it's, like, having a really... A concept that seemed like it would just be a one-note joke, it's actually just played completely straight, and it still ends up working despite that. Okay, yeah, I definitely agree with that sort of idea, because you don't know when it's sort of like the the background character gets to be the main character sort of uh, idea yeah. could be good or bad. Because it could just, easily have fallen into the same jokes over and over, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, and it's also just the, his, like, design makes it look like it's a joke. Like, oh, this is, like, huge guy with the silly hair and the big lips. He's the main character? This is gonna be a riot. Right. And sometimes it is, but it also still has, like, a genuine, like, heartfelt romance still to it. So even though I didn't like this show all the way to the end, um, what I did like, I actually liked a lot. Okay. Yeah. It's good to hear. Yeah. So that's the second one. Uh, the third one is uh, Himoto Umaru-chan, 
which when I first heard about the show, like warning bells went off like it. Right. It does not read well. Yeah. As like a concept. Warning bells went off. Like I was at like the fire station while the human torch was going crazy in New York or wherever he operates from. But uh, when I like I started hearing a lot of positive stuff about it and there were a bunch of like gifts floating around that I thought looked really funny. So I ended up watching the show, and what I got was a show that was both had a ton of like incredibly good jokes and just great timing, but also actually tried to make um, a point through those jokes that really hit. It didn't hit home, but it did hit, okay. uh, and I, I felt it. I felt what they were going for, or maybe they weren't going for it, and they were just so ignorant of what they were putting on screen <laughs> that it, that that is what makes it interesting. But it's just. Either way, it's a much better case study than you would expect from, like, a silly gag anime. And that's, you know, that's good. Um, then my number four is, um, I don't know if I should, like, give this the Japanese title or, like, the super weird English title that I ended up getting, but uh, it's Sakurako-san. Right, okay. Um, which is just a show, even though I had a friend who told me, are oh, the books good? You're probably gonna like it. I wasn't really certain at first, but... This show ended up, it, it was just, you know, way better than I could have expected. Yeah, again, it's another thing that sort of reads really differently than what you get out of it. Yeah, because it seems like, oh, Manic Pixie Dream Girl and self-insert protagonist are going to go out and solve a bunch of mysteries, and there's probably going to be some titty. Um, and I mean, first of all, there was no titty in this show. Yeah. And, and it was just... It was fairly intelligent. Like, uh, most of the mysteries were really good. Um, it was, like, the pacing was, like, nice and, like, always exactly how it was supposed to be. Like, all the characters were good. I don't know if I already said that, but it's worth saying twice. And it just, and it plays out much more like a Western procedural than yeah. you would expect out of an anime. Mm -hmm. about, especially about, like, murder mysteries. You always expect some kind of, like, weird magic thing or, you know, something, some bigger conspiracy going on. It's mostly just, like, uh, you know, every story is kind of, it's separate, but the characters continue to move forward with them. Yeah. And the idea of having a central protagonist that is just um, someone who isn't, who is a, a, a good-looking lady... Who is all, but who isn't able to function properly as society, that is usually not treated well. And it's treated yeah. as, like, a, a hot thing. Right. I would, yeah. But in this show, um, there are characters who have the hots for the main character, but it's not because she's, like, so, like, weird and appealing in, like, that, uh, like, that Scott Pilgrim manic pixie dreamy way. Right. It's just, they, they treat the situation that she's in with a decent amount of respect to the point where sometimes, or like a lot of the times, there's just, they don't make a point of it. Um, mm -hmm. Which is really out of the ordinary. And like, good. it's a lot of having to talk Sakurako-san down from like, you know, kind of being too rude and blunt. Yeah, and it's not just like this thing where, oh, isn't she doing something crazy and isn't that appealing in a in a precious way? Like, there's also part, like, Moments where it's just clearly, like, very bad that she's in the situation she's in. And they make that obvious. Yeah. And then there's also the fact that this is only the second series that the studio Troika has done. And the first one was the second series, was Alt Noah Zero, which was not good and didn't right. look very good. So, props. You know, good props. job. And then my final one, 
Uh, I'm just gonna be. I'm just gonna be honest. I couldn't think of. A, I couldn't think of a fifth one. So it's uh, Gundam Iron Blood Orphans for apparently being the least bad Gundam in a while. Uh, it's a Gundam so separated from the rest of the story that apparently it's a good moving in point. I saw that gif of like the guy running in from the background, and he looked like a Skype emoji, and I thought that was funny, and that's why I put it on the list. <laughs> God, he looks so cute in both he, of those shots. Though. He looks super cute. What a great oh. gif! All right, All right. Uh, and those are my picks. So I have Sakurako-san on there as well, mm-hmm. and but then I have four completely different ones Dang. that I thought were just like a big surprise. Okay. So first one on the list, uh, I was honestly shocked by comical psychosomatic medicine as a thing that's supposed to like help talk about you know mental illness and kind of try to give these ideas of what to do, kind of how to you know notice it, that kind of thing. You'd expect with something that's Japanese for it to be very um, irreverent. Yeah. But it, I mean, it's, it is targeted at children, so I think it has the exact no- amount of, like, information you might need, along with, um, like, really crude, sort of crass humor mm-hmm. that would draw, uh, that would draw that sort of audience in to be able to give this information so that you can catch it relatively early, kind of, you know, try to see if you can help with it and bring sort of a, less of a taboo to it, where, you know, it's, it's okay, and it's not unsurprising if you have this. It's something that we can take care of, and you don't have to struggle with. Yeah. Which I think is good. I thought, from the way you made it sound, it definitely sounded like, for something coming out of Japan, it's to a degree ahead of its time. Yeah. Which, um, for for example, like a book, or maybe even uh, a manga, or uh, like even a... Um, like a study to be ahead of its time, you know that's that doesn't happen a lot, but it it sort of makes sense because that's an individual's vision. But for an anime to be that, that's like rare because that's a large production, even for a short. So the fact that this like probably had to pass by a lot of hands and a lot of different producers who could have just said that we're not putting this out, you know, it's good mm-hmm. that it did get put out. Exactly. So then on the list here, I have um, punchline. Uh, so punchline, uh, it it reads really poorly because it is about a guy who uh, basically will cause the end of the world if he sees panties, yeah, kind of thing. That reads super shitty. And the only reason I started it and the only reason I ended up going through with it afterwards is because it is written by someone who I think has a good sense of writing to generally avoid that sort of thing. Okay, uh, Kodoro Uchikoshi who wrote, like, the Zero Escape series and other sort of visual novels that all hinge on sort of what seems like a a typical or, like, a, a grounded situation and quickly, like, blows out of control, but in a way that's not like, oh, well, you know, he just pulled something out of his ass. It's, like, perfectly calculated to be like, oh, this whole thing has been leading up to this, and I would have never expected it, but it's good. Yeah. Kind of thing. And so, like, with Punchline, it very heavily hinges on sort of, like, these kind of, like, weird panty shots for the first few episodes. And as it gets into the main plot, like, it drops that almost 100%. Like, it just, like, does not pay mind anymore as it becomes more about the characters and the sort of, like, reversing time in order to be able to create this perfect sequence of events that creates the um, the the future that doesn't get the world destroyed. And I think it handles that really well once you get past sort of the weird skeeviness of the idea. Mm-hmm. 
So while it wasn't like perfect and while it really like gave, gives off a bad first impression, I think it turned out really well in sort of the way I expect a Nuchikoshi thing to turn out. Okay, good. Uh, next up, I have Tribe Cool Crew. Uh, Tribe Cool Crew, I watched, uh, 100% on a whim. Uh, I didn't expect anything out of it. It's like a street dancing anime. The, the characters all look very silly, very almost Western, because it's a lot of, like, different body shapes and, like, not all set to that sort of, like, anime standard. Yeah. Very, like, long limbs, very, like, lithe bodies, or, like, really comically large bodies. But it honestly has a lot of heart. I think it's a really fascinating thing to, like, kind of, push towards kids is like instead of like merchandising and stuff it's very heavily into learning how to dance kind of getting active being you know being active in like a community and you know doing these sorts of like active things outside and really like portrays dancing really well it does it all in 3d from actual um they actually have like groups come in and do the dance sequences and then set them to 3d for all of them okay so they're all realistic like things that you know, that people would do out when they're dancing on the streets kind of thing. And I think even as its plot became less, oh, watch this group of dancers slowly go up to global conspiracy <laughs> to have like dancing cause this sort of like, uh, <laughs> this sort of like revolution. It, it always has that sort of heart of like always believing in yourself, doing these new things and not being, you know, not giving up this very, it was a really well done children's series, I think. And I think that's why I put it up there. It's just like, I expected nothing out of it. And I got, got everything. everything out of it. Yeah. Nice. Then my final one on the list is Shirabako. Shirabako, when on paper is just like, oh, anime writes anime. You kind of expect some, I almost expected like a documentary style thing. What you end up getting is these very real characters, that, especially this like group of five that they focus on as they kind of make their way slowly into the animation industry, kind of get caught up in sort of the hell that it is. Anime hell. And maybe it's, you know, it's kind of, um, it's kind of like made more positive than it might be for real. But it's one of those things that like, you get a feeling of these characters, these characters, you know, suddenly, you know, feel real as they deal with these struggles and try to figure out how to deal with, you know, authors who just won't get back to you or, you know, like production issues. And things like that. It has a surprising amount of heart, I think, is what I'm getting at. I think one of the most inter interesting things about the show is that um, it plays in from the perspective of um, not necessarily the people in it, but uh, it, it plays from the perspective of blame, which is that um, the there's a, like a big thing about the anime is that they're constantly running behind schedule and they're always looking for ways to like cut corners or get things done faster just to be able to get the show out in time. And in the end, like a bunch of the people have to deliver the final episode of a show, like personally to the stations minutes before the actual show is going to Because end. basically the equivalent of Dropbox just breaks. Yeah. For them. Um, but what I think is interesting is that the reason their show is uh, like running on such a horrible schedule is because the director just does not get the thumbnails, or not the thumbnails, the, um, what are they called? The, oh, the, like the, the storyboard, basically. Yeah, he doesn't get, he takes, like, a ridiculous amount of time getting the storyboards done. Because he literally just can't think of an ending. Yeah, and it's... For an original series. And it's, but it happens again when they work on their second series, but 
And it's like, this is the number one reason that both of their shows, like, ended up taking way too long. And it's, like, absolutely ridiculous how much time it takes to get this done. And the show almost doesn't, like, it, it barely pays any attention to this. It pays attention to it happening, but almost all the blame is shifted off of the director after that's done. Which is, you know, um, like, both by the characters and by the show itself. Because it, it barely, like, veers back to that after the storyboards are done. Which I think mm-hmm. is interesting because that's kind of the way it is in real life as well. Like, when do you get to hear about an anime not being out in time because the director <laughs> took too long on storyboards? <laughs> right. You always hear, oh, the production team or whatever. Or not enough budget. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's, like, the main thing I took away from Shirobako. It's, it, but I think it was a really, it's a really heartfelt sort of project. Sure. And apparently they're making an anime about making Shirobako, which is about making anime. <laughs> I don't know how many levels deep we are right now, but... It's still going to have the same characters in it, which is the most messed up part. Mm-hmm. So, uh, those are our picks. We have different winners for this one, right? We have different winners. So, Whoa. Jordan, you go first. Um, my winner is Sakurako-san, just mm. because it absolutely blew me away. Uh, spoilers, it is one of my nominees for Best Anime. <laughs> and when I went in expecting to maybe drop this at the end of the first episode and getting one of maybe the best anime in years, you know, that just has to be at the top. <laughs> All right. And my winner for biggest surprise is that I got a girlfriend thanks to this podcast. I mean, it, it, the stipulations didn't say anything <laughs> about it, that it had to be anime. Right. We just said it's the biggest surprise. And boy, howdy, is that a surprise. That, <laughs> well, don't sell yourself too short. <laughs> Who would have thought having an anime podcast would uh, lead, lead to this sort of uh, ending? But yeah, so that's my biggest surprise. If I'm giving an actual, <laughs> if I have to give an actual anime surprise as biggest surprise, I'm going to give it to Tribe Cool Crew. Okay. Just for same thing, sort of going in expecting nothing, getting uh, just a really good experience out of it, and just feeling like engaged episode to episode with what's going to happen. You're listening to the 30th annual Chaco Disaster Anime of the Year Awards. All right. So now we're going to talk. Uh, as a, as a uh, as an opposite to the biggest surprise, we're going to talk about the biggest disappointment or the biggest waste of potential. It's the uh, A one for effort award for biggest waste of potential. <laughs> I forgot about that one. That's good too. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. All right, so I'll start with this one. Okay. So biggest waste of potential, starting off with heavy object. I really wanted to like heavy object because it was a robot show that focused less on, like, humanoidish robots and more, like, really big and kind of unique tanks that, like, uh, small soldiers would have to figure out how to beat without another big tank, which can be a neat idea. And some of the things that I saw when watching it were pretty alright. But then, uh, the writing is just, like, the biggest schlock of, like, light novel writing. But it's, like, schlock and, like, it takes itself very seriously. Not even that, but it's just, like, very, like, none of the dialogue feels really natural. Like, none of the characters are actually talking to each other. Okay. And there's, like, a there's that really weird part where he talks about, where, like, the main character talks about touching the flesh mounds of a woman. Like, it's, nothing feels natural about it, and it really hurts because it's also, like, very juvenile. Hmm. And so that's that. Then next up on the list, I have uh, Ron Poketan. Um... 
I liked a lot of things about it, and I really wanted to like the series, but it was it was never particularly well paced is one of the big issues. And the adaptations of the stories they're based on were loose, which is fine for me, but also felt, I guess, not particularly, like, reverent towards the source material. Okay. I always felt like it was trying maybe too much to, like, adapt it. And so, um, it also, like, while it had nice, like, callbacks and stuff, and the characters were generally neat, it didn't know how to, like, use them well, I think. I think a lot of characters were underutilized or overutilized, and none of them really felt like they fit together. Okay. And then they added a character who, um, who was like really into the main character so much that she just like peed. Oh, and yeah. it happened a lot on camera. <laughs> and so I just had to like stop in like disgust. Like I, I was, I was near that point where I was going to end it. And I was like, I don't know, probably three episodes from the end, but it literally opened up with one of those scenes for the episode, and I was like, well, you're, you're, I'm just going to close that and never look back. You've already told, talked about that on the podcast, yeah. But I need to talk about it again. It's it's important to note. That's why it's such a waste of potential. It's like, it has neat ideas and stuff, but it just can't put them together. I don't know if that one is going to win your award for biggest disappointment, but it definitely wins the award for biggest disappointment. <laughs> oh, God. You're right, though. All right, adding a new <laughs> trophy. No. Remind me to. S- <laughs> All right, so then uh, I have Gunslinger Stratos. Okay, I have this one too. For a thing based on a series where uh, some people hold two light guns and shoot the shit out of other people with light guns, it sure was full of like really bad world building and melodrama that didn't do anything. It and worst of all, the animation just was not good. No. Like, it It was very obvious that, like, it was either done as, like, a... It, it was not done as, like, a passion project, or it didn't have the budget required. Also, it was written by Gino Rabucci, so, like, it's, like, three... There's just a whole bunch of issues wrong with it to make it just a just an unenjoyable experience for a thing that should have been really cool for just having a whole bunch of guns. Literally all I wanted out of Gunslinger Shadows was people shooting guns and jumping off of buildings, and I barely yeah. got either of those. Yeah, there's not a lot of gunslinging. No. Not much Stratos either, so like... No, I guess not. And then there's the character the that point? right away, like, they introduce him with him saying, Hey man, like, my character trait is that I'm really protective of my sister, and if you try to get with her, I'll fuck you up. Yeah, and he's cool because he has a pompadour. And they messed it up. They messed it up. But yeah, that about sums it up. They messed it up. <sighs> Thanks, A1. Gosh. Th- oh, was that A1? That was A1. God, what a fucking... <laughs> we talked about no this one on the last podcast. I need to change my list. <laughs> All right. No. All right. Um, I, I put this one on the list, um, not so much because I thought it was a bad series, but I feel like it really missed on a big opportunity. And that's Sound Euphonium. Yep. It... It, so, first of all, it bills itself as a wind ensemble version of K-On! From, like, all of its advertisement and stuff. It makes all the four main characters seem equally important and that they are friends. But it becomes very obvious very quickly that it's more like there are three friends and there's another person that exists. Yeah. And... Well, that's for the first half, and then after that it's the about two half. friends. Then it's about two splitting. Yeah. And I think the big problem with that is, first of all, it's not integrating the cast enough. It's focusing heavily on two characters, 
and not the full cast, which they, for the first half, they build up this group of three friends, and then they ignore two of them going on. Yeah. I get that it's Kuniko's story. I get it. But everyone should play an equally large part, then, rather than uh, shoving it, like, directly onto Reyna. Reyna is the big issue I have with um, Sound Euphonium, because she's so distinct from every other character, and in a bad way. Yeah. Like, she doesn't want to associate with any other character besides Kimiko, and therefore she kind of avoids everyone else and kind of puts everyone else out of the spotlight. Uh, and Raina... it's just... Carry oh, on. go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, you go. You, you finish your thing. No, I was actually... I was I was going to go into a different thing, so... Okay. I mean, Reyna is just... her bi- Like, her big character thing, as we find out halfway into the story, is that she has a messiah complex. And that's fine. Like, that, I don't like watching that as a character, but, like, I can't criticize that. That's just a thing I don't like. But... <laughs> There's the problem is that is the last when we find out about that, that is the last time her character develops. And after that, she starts getting more screen time, even though her character arc is finished and actually never begins. Yeah, she she has had a character from the from the early like the the pre time, the pre or I guess the the past to now has been the same characters that she is wholly dedicated to being the best. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing, but then there's no development past it, and it's like, Kumiko actually, like, decides to, like, indulge in her, like, fantasies of, like, you know, kind of superhumanism. Yeah. And that, I think, really starts to ruin the dynamic of the other characters already there. Because, like, if we if we remove Reyna, is about a group of three friends at different skill levels who are learning to deal with high school life and are trying to improve in various levels on their own pace. Yeah. That's totally fine. And they have an arc about, you know, about the other students and having to deal with them and trying to get everyone motivated. That works well, too, because that brings new friends into the group. Reyna's story disregards all of that. And it's the worst, out of everything this series tries to tell, it's the worst story, and it gets the most screen time. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And it, you want to know the worst part about all this Reina garbage? Is that it wasn't in the book. And a lot of people are like, oh, you know, it's great that they're, you know, like, pushing this relationship between Hugo and Reina. It's like, this relationship is built on basically nothing. This relationship that doesn't exist. They are not lovers. And so it's just like, <sighs> damn. And it gets it gets worse too because there. So this is the the relationship between Reina and Kumiko is what the second half of the series is focused on almost entirely, and mm-hmm. it doesn't get resolved. No. But then there's all these other things that have been built up built up from earlier than their like uh like Messiah complex enabling relationship that start like from episode maybe two through five. That also doesn't get resolved because so much time is spent on the Reina Kumiko thing. And then by the end, basically almost every plot thread that is gets is started up in the series is not resolved except for the band as a whole. So I mean God bless there's a season two which might do that, but it's probably gonna push harder on this Kumiko Reina thing. And it's just it just feels like a waste of what could have otherwise been I mean e- even if it's not canon, there's, like, a lot of drama in this that isn't there, and that's fine. Yeah. The, you know, the constant 
sensitive improvement, kind of dealing with the teacher and this performance, that's all fine. That all makes a lot of sense in the context of the story, but this Reina thing is just... It's just the worst. So then, my last one is Gako Garashi. Right. Now, I went into this with not a lot of... Ex- well, okay, so when I first heard about it, no expectations at all. is Because it, it spoils itself by being like, oh, here's these cute girls doing cute things, but in a zombie apocalypse! Whoa. And it's like, there's nothing... I mean, like, it's already spoiled it for me. So I'm not, like, invested in that part. But after... Goodness. Like, one of the middle episodes, like, six or seven or so... There's there are a couple like scenes going around of just like really well directed sort of like the the crumbling psyche of the main character where it's like this idealistic world as it slowly like fades throughout the scene into the the actual world they live in. And some of those were really neat. And so I watched all of it, hoping that there was more of that, and it wasn't. There's really no balance between the horror aspects and the, like, cutesy slice-of-life stuff. It's either they're doing a cute slice-of-life thing, but also there are some zombies in the background, or they're doing, like, the survival horror thing, but also they're cute and stand out because they're, you know, so brightly colored compared to everything else. Yeah. It never feels like they hit that balance of the two things, and it fails on both ends to make you invested. All right. Also, it has, like, a... It also has a pool episode, and that's really disgusting. That is, yeah, that's um, no good. But, like, it gives these, like, plot points and stuff that's happening, and it's like, something interesting could be done with it, and it just constantly fails to do anything interesting with them. Mm. Like, how the final conflict is resolved through just, like, really stupid means. It's just, <laughs> like, it's it's basically, like, they, sp- they spend, like, three episodes building up this final conflict of, like, one of them gets bit, and one of them's trying to get medicine, but gets, you know, attacked by zombies, and one of them has to deal with. The possibility of having to kill one of their friends. And then it's just resolved in the like, most hackneyed way possible. And it's just... It's just like... It just felt like it failed on all accounts to like be emotionally gripping. Damn. So that's my five. Alright. Um, so I have two of those on my list. Sound Euphonium and Gunslinger Shadows. Mm-hmm. My other three are... Um, Kekai Sensen. I feel... Okay. I, I almost feel... Not bad, but maybe a little wrong in putting this on this list because all the problems i have with it or at least almost all of them um are the anime only material no they are yeah they aren't exclusive to the anime it's a problem in the manga as well and that that is basically that at the start of the show we are presented this world that is uh based like in some to some degree in our reality but there's something different about it Uh, in a very literal sense because it was our world for at some point and then the timeline split off from reality when these when the other dimension stuff showed up um, and they give us the character of Leo, who is sort of just an everyman. Um, and we- definitely an outsider to this world. He's yeah. not used to everything that everyone else is. And he is a great vessel for the audience, uh, to, in, through which to introduce the audience to this new world. And they do that for maybe two episodes. And the rest is just like, nearly a fourth of the show is like just garbage with Zep, the worst character. And um, I'm, I'm gonna dis- I'll continue, but I'm gonna disagree with you in a minute. Like, Zep is just the worst. I don't like his character <laughs> at all. And he, he, like I said, a third of the show is spent on him and he doesn't develop. Um, and it's just mm-hmm. like most of the character, most of the cast, at least within the confines of these 13 episodes, are extremely one dimensional. Like, Leo is maybe the one exception. And there's, um, 
like hints at the the big dude whose name I have forgotten. Right. Uh, like a hints at there being more to him, but like Zep is just a complete waste of time. Like the the two, like the duo, like that's like the lady and the dude. They mm-hmm. we literally don't know anything about them at all. And then there's like the side story that's anime exclusive with the brother and sister that has nothing to do with anything and feel shoehorned into the story because it is. Um, and basically the story. It starts off promising to be one thing, and then it is something ends up being something completely different and isn't very good at being that. So I want to say, first of all, I don't feel like it's two episodes. I feel like that's a little disingenuous, because I feel like there are more episodes of Leo at least interacting with other characters and still getting the full front of the world. Like, the ones with Zap, where it's like his master shows up, and the one where there's the boxing ring, right? Or okay. the fighting ring. Those ones are bad. But, like, you have you have the first couple episodes where Leo's kind of getting used to how he works and everything. And you especially have the one with the little mushroom guy, mm-hmm. which I thought was a really strong example of what that show could have been. That was a really good episode. Yeah, like, there are, there are still, like, moments of really good direction and everything. The biggest problem I had with the anime is that the... Not just that the anime exclusive material, like, took a huge part of it. I wouldn't mind if it was, like, really good or integrated better. But it was back-ended, so it really only happened near the end. Yeah. And also, it sort of downplays what I think Kekai Sensen is about, which is this sort of, like, this group. It's about the group and their dynamics and Leo learning to handle it, sort of. Because, like, the whole thing is basically, like, he's writing this letter back to his sister about the things he's been doing. Yeah. And the people he's experienced and things like that. And the issue with the... The arc, the anime-only arc, is that it focuses solely on Leo. Everyone else gets backstage to Leo, who suddenly has to solve this for not, like, a really adequately explained reason. Like, yes, he has this relationship with the girl, but that's it kind of thing. Yeah. There's no reason he has to be the one to fight Black or whatever. So I think that hurts it a lot, but that I didn't put it on my, uh, my biggest waste of potential because I think, for the most part, still, it shows what could be a very strong series sure um but but that's to, my opinion to like uh to like come back to the part where you said that uh, saying that only two episodes are good is disingenuous i also think that all the episodes that had to do with leo and the gang weren't very good i think the okay. show was at its absolute strongest when it was just leo doing things okay um because there's such a there's a, a big gulf between him and like the 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 agency Mm-hmm. And then also there's a big gulf between the agency and, like, most of the city. Okay. So I think presenting uh, the series for most of the time through Leo and the agency uh, doesn't give you the perspective you need to really grasp the story. That's fair. Yeah, and that's sort of what didn't really do it for me. It was still all right. I think on the – if you look at it, like, just no perspective and big picture, then it's fine. But it just – I guess you have a point because, like, the world is very neat. Yeah. But – it doesn't do a good job of presenting it in a way that doesn't feel bloated, I guess. Like, uh, look, this is the last thing I'm going to say before I'm going to move on to the next episode. Okay. Like, look at the chess episode, and it was a great episode, but it has... We learn nothing. We learn nothing, neither about the characters or the way any of the events in that episode, like, affect or are affected by the world at large. Mm-hmm. And it's... I don't know. It just didn't yeah. do it for me. 
It's okay. So that's number one. Second one, I can probably be a lot quicker about this one, is Rock and Oyusha, uh, Braves uh-huh. of the Six Flowers. It was just <laughs> started off with one good character, and not really with an interesting premise, but just strong characters can save uh, a, a generic a run-of-the-mill story. Yeah, and it was interesting enough in that it gave these characters a way to interact. Yeah. And then, you know, the rest of the cast is just nowhere near as interesting. And, you know, when the cast isn't that great and the story doesn't really grip you either, then that's all there is to it. And just the one character, as great as he was, he couldn't save the rest of the show. There's like a frog person that belches? That, yes. Or vomits? Mm-hmm. Great. And then, oh, that's that That's that character with the big green hat. Yeah. That right. I see it's, all It's a frog hat. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then my final pick is Young Blackjack, which, um, I just, I just didn't have the drive to finish it. Uh, and I mean, I guess I, I didn't really like it either, but the big thing is just that I, I didn't finish it. Okay. Um, even though, like, I love Blackjack, I just think this, the, it started off with, like, maybe one or two really good episodes, but then once it started getting into the multi-part episodes, the pacing really started to drag, and just the okay. whole thing was kind of a farce. Um, like, it felt irreverent, or like it was just wholly divorced? It, it's, it took itself... Like, it was... I'm not sure if it was a farce on purpose or not, because that, that is something you can do, and it can be good. Right, and I think it probably isn't going to be a farce on purpose, because it is supposed to be, like a follow-up as, like, a, a Tezuka thing, right? Yeah. It's supposed to be something that was done, like, as a passion project to celebrate, you know, Tezuka's work on the original. Right, but then the thing is that uh, Black, like, Blackjack, as far as Tezuka works go, is somewhat comedic, even though it does deal with, like, dark stuff most of the time. Right, but, like, a darkish sort of humor. Yeah, and but then Young Blackjack is also dark, but in very different ways. Um, okay. It's a very soap opera-ish. Um, uh, okay. You know what the theme song sounds like, right? It's, like, this really, like, very old-school, like, bombastic voice, like, anime opening. Right. And that is really... It's very representative of the show in that it's very... uh, It takes itself really seriously, but... Not in the right way. Not in the right way. I... Because the thing is, what what I was going to say is it takes itself very seriously while going through all these silly events. But I Mm -hmm. would use that same sense to describe things I actually really like. So yeah. I, I don't really know how to put it, but it was just it, it was just a farce, and I was hoping it would be something more, something it a little more respectable. It takes itself seriously, and when it does the silly things, it doesn't feel like it's doing it on purpose. No, but even that can be fun, right? But this just okay. This... But this one ended up just being kind of a whatever. Yeah. Okay, so those are our that's that's your whole thing, right? Yeah. So, uh, my winner for biggest waste of potential goes to Gako Garashi. Hot damn. Oh, do I just say mine now? Okay. Yeah. Um, my winner is Sound Euphonium. I okay. I can't... Exp- I mean, it's probably obvious from how many words I said about it, but I can't express <laughs> how frustrating this show is to me. I mean, we did almost title one of the earlier podcast episodes. I watched a thing that wasn't K-On! for 30 minutes, and I hated it. Yeah. Which was one of your quotes about, I think, the first episode. That was the first episode. Um... But you know what? That isn't the pro- That's far from the problem. But I, I just wanted to point out that that was it. And like, it doesn't seem to have. Your mood does not seem to have improved since then. No, I mean there was a time when it improved, like between episodes two and like maybe four, five, six. It's I, like I, a bell curve. Yeah, yeah. It starts out kind of weak, gets better, and drops off again.
Yeah, and one final thing about sound euphonium. Um, this is something that I don't like saying because on the surface it sounds really gross. But uh, this show did lesbian baiting in a big way. Oh, for sure. And that's and that sounds gross because that makes it sound like uh, female gay relationships in anime are inherently exploitative, which of course they're not. Right. But the thing is, this show they didn't go through with it like at all. They just they did the kiss thing, and it's like, well, wasn't that hot? All right, that's it. We're done with this. Did they kiss? They did. They did the kiss, and then afterwards they were like, oh, it's a platonic kiss, so it's okay. Right. Um, and then there's also the part where they're like connected by the red thread in the ending, which is just embarrassing. Right. But all of them are connected by a red thread. No, it's just it's just Reina and Kumiko. No, there's a part where they all have the thread around them. Well, they they're all, oh no, they're holding. They're that. holding it. Yeah, but the two of them have it tied to their pinkies. Got it. It's just so. It's just so gonzo. Not the company, but right. It we we could never say it's that bad. No. Because there are good ideas. It's just really, like, exploitative, like I said. Like, they didn't put this relationship in there because they wanted to build a good, like, lesbian relationship. They did it because people like that sort of thing in, like, a very base, exploitative way. It's just no good, man. It looked nice. Yeah, it sure did. Yeah. I guess exploitative is kind of how I could describe Gakko Garashi, too, in my opinion. Like, it felt like it was a very cheap sort of, like, finding a way to make you horrified by something by just putting something cute in it. Yeah. Like, you just basically drop, like, a moe blob in the middle of zombies and then go, yep, that's horrifying. Mm-hmm. Can you believe it? The The difference between these two things is unimaginable. Do you feel for this crying girl yet? Yeah, it's it's kind of... It's kind of like it's just it it's it basically just yells at you like why aren't you feeling anything yet <laughs> feel something as like you know oh you know this person's surrounded by zombies like feel something even though we've never like the in the particular at that point we hadn't met that character oh it's just like feel bad for this character you know nothing about man even high school of the dead doesn't do that yeah and all the twists were like really obvious oh like, when they do the big twist that, like, the teacher's been dead the whole time or whatever. Like, you already knew. It's, they they waited, like, eight episodes to tell you the teacher's dead. <laughs> and then it's like, we already knew. You don't have to pretend this is, like, a big thing that suddenly is so, you know, unbelievable. Uh-huh. But, yeah. So that's... Now we get to our, um... Man, enough negativity. Let's talk about things we hate. <laughs> this... Welcome to the, um... Very serious categories. Yeah, the important ones. <laughs> yeah, we were coming up with these categories and we're like, you know, we want something a little more fresher, something that probably people aren't going to do. So we're going to talk about the most transparent Sword Art Online knockoff of 2015. All right. Do we have a cool name for this? Um, yes, we do, but we can't reveal it until we tell people what the winner is. Oh, you're right. Yeah. So... Let's let's talk because I think we basically have the same list. Do we? Uh, I think basically we do. All right. Well, in that case, let's pick one. Uh, one like go back and forth. Okay. So uh, first of all, we'll talk about Sky Wizard Academy. Yep. Sky Wizard Academy is about a, a a young a young man who's like really good at flying around with his cool space shoes and swinging his sword. And he shows up at this Sky Wizard Academy to teach some girls about his age, about flying on their cool space shoes, 
and swinging swords. And, you know, like, the first thing I think he does in the anime is, like, uh, a girl trips and he grabs her boobies to, like, help get her up or something like that. Or he trips into the boobies. But, like... What the fuck? That happens in two more of these shows. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's the... <laughs> so, Skyviz Academy is feels very sort of online and that is, like, the setup it seems very uh, similar and is trite. And it's just about this guy who's really good at fighting and these other people that are not as good at fighting that he teaches and also they've got boobs. Okay. I mean, this is the one that I think is on my list, but not on yours. Okay. And that's Absolute Duo. Oh, no, because, yeah, you know more about this than I I know more about it than you do. And it's not the setup is pretty different because it's like a school show and not just an adventure show. But it feels super similar and, like, just the teenagers with, like, weapons that they really, by all rights, shouldn't be able to use. And then they go, like, they fight super generic monsters and there's a a titty every once in a while. (laughs) You know, it's just, uh-huh. and it's Classic. it's built from the same base of like ultra flavorless, like just no creativity. The thing that wants you want to make that sort of online money. Yeah, absolutely. Because, and it's such a strange thing too. Because imagine if you woke up tomorrow and you like opened up the newspaper and you found out just straight cornflakes without anything else in it is suddenly the single most popular food product in the world. That's kind of what Sword Art Online is. It's, wow, damn. It's so, like, lifeless and devoid of creativity or, like, just humanity or, like, really any interest from the writer at all. And Or, like... Oh, go ahead. And it's Sorry. not it's it's not only weird that that made so much money, but it's even more weird that people have felt the urge to stick close, so close to that in, in an attempt to replicate that success. Like, if you were forced to make... Um, or if you got the idea to make something similar to Sword Art Online in an attempt to chase that money, wouldn't you at least, like, put a little bit of that spark of creativity in that just in order to, like, not die inside while you're making this thing? But no! Right. <laughs> uh, oh, Wake me up. Yeah, like, imagine if you started an anime podcast and then suddenly Crunchyroll and IGN suddenly started an anime podcast right after you. That would be terrible. Oh, uh, that would oh, just wait. suck. <laughs> Can't believe they're cribbing off of us. Uh. We should be getting royalties from them. Anyways, <laughs> next up, we have the Anti-Magic Academy. All right. I don't even know the dang Japanese version. It's got, like, a number in it. But um, Anti-Magic Academy is about a guy who joins an all-girls military unit that fights wizards, and they've got guns. Yep. There you go. There, there it is. It even has the it even has the word academy in it, just like Sky Wizard Academy. It's like it's basically all right there. Um, also, there are lots of titties. That, yeah, well, that that's a given for this category, right? Uh, before we move on to what is basically like a double feature of nominees <laughs> i want you to tell me what the one is that you have that's not on my list oh i had overlord oh okay well there you go and i put overlord on there because it is about a guy who gets stuck in an mmo and all the ladies in the mmo want to bang him and are we, ta- are we talking to- about overlord or sort of online who knows? No, it's Overlord. Okay. The difference is that Overlord Man is a skeleton that yeah. people want to have sex with. He's got a huge a bone. Ha! You're right, though. Sure. One of the characters has a body pillow of a skeleton in that <laughs> series. But, um... 
Great. But that's that. That's that's that. Overlord is sort of online, but like grim. It's like grim <laughs> sort of online because there's no fun to be had. Uh, I mean, sort of online is pretty grim already. Well, yeah, but what I mean is, like, it's supposed to be, like, a darker tone. It's supposed to be more, like, somber and serious. Okay. And then in the second episode, all the girls uh, decide to fight over the skeleton man by uh, by making fun of each other's breasts or lack thereof. Uh, anyway, uh, the final two picks on our list are two anime that I'm still not sure if they aren't the same series. It's so, let's point out that they aired the same season. The same season. Uh, same general plot. Almost very similar character designs. It, the the like similarities are staggering. I've watched the first yes. episode of both of these shows, and even the plot between the two, like, just the actual, like, beat-for-beat beat situation is really similar. Mm -hmm. um, it's Asterisk War and Chivalry of a Failed Knight. The main difference is that Chivalry of a Failed Knight is only on Hulu, while Asterisk War is on, I'm pretty sure, every Everything. streaming site. And it's... Well, I mean, there... <sighs> They're so... It's... I can't overstate how similar these shows are. Like, it's... It almost feels like, like it was on purpose. Like, this was some kind of... Like, social A1 isn't experiment. handling either of them, is it? What? A1 isn't handling either of these. No, right? they are. Oh, oh. Which one are they handling? Well, I'll mention that in a bit. Okay. Um, But it's... It almost feels like some kind of social experiment. Like, if they... Mm -hmm. Two teams got together, made the same... Like... They wrote a plot outline together, and then they went away and, like, developed a show around that separately to yeah, see if like people had, would notice, and I did. Like, they had the same plot, but they had, like, different character designers. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's incredible. Anyway, let's, let's go ahead to our winner. Alright, so, well, okay, we, I'll talk about why I think that this one should win afterwards, but we're giving it to the Asterisk Award. <laughs> That's it, yep. So, the Asterisk War one. And I think the most damning thing about it that makes it so transparent as an SAO knockoff is that Digibro did the same review <laughs> of Sword of Online as he did for the Asterisk War. I can't believe he just- I can't believe it's just all the same- the same words, he just swapped out the footage. <laughs> yeah, and not only that, he just like ha it's like exactly the same words, and then he just says, The Asterisk War, and just like paste that over Sword Art Online, <laughs> and it just says it the same way each time, it was incredible. Uh, but yeah, so we give it to Asterisk War. Um, another, there, see, there's a couple things that make Asterisk War worse than Chivalry of a Failed Knight. Uh, the first is that it is by A1 Pictures, which is what makes it more transparent. Right. Um, the the designs feel like they're a lot more copied from Sword Online too, like the art style and everything. The the main character literally has the same face as Kirito from Sword Art Online. It's embarrassing. And then there's also the fact that it, it looks bad. I mean, it looks okay, but there's never any flair to it. It's animated in a really straightforward way. And Chivalry of a Failed Knight, I've like I've seen the first episode, but I've also seen a couple of gifts from later episodes. And occasionally there are like some bits that have genuine artistic flair to them or like comedy to them. It's not a series without redeeming qualities, even if it does have very little. But right. Asterisk War, I, I I have nothing positive to say about it in the slightest. Ah. <sighs> And now, maybe a little more jokey than our previous one, but still very serious. Yeah. The least subtle excuse to see some titty. The literal breastplate award. <laughs> Alright. So this one, 
Um, we had to think of a couple, at least when I put it together, I had to think of a couple things. It couldn't be a show focused solely on the idea of seeing boobies, like Anatory EX or something. Yeah. Where, like, the entire point is it. It had to be something with enough plot so that you could, like, pretend to your mom that, like, <laughs> you're buying something with any kind of value. Like, you're like, oh, you know, it's like, oh, they fight demons and it's really cool or something like that. And that you don't have to, and then maybe you don't have to explain why it's, you know, like, behind the counter. Yeah. That sort of thing. That's when, when I was going through it, that was kind of my criteria, which kind of falls apart on one of them, but th- we'll worry about that in a minute. Okay. You want me to start? So, you, yeah, you start. All right, I have on my list Absolute Duo. We've mm-hmm. already discussed that one. Yeah. Um, the Astro's War and Chivalry of a Failed Knight. Oh, did you put those as one thing? No. Okay. I just, they have to be mentioned in the same tongue. All right. Um, because, you know, Sword Art Online would have won this award if we had been doing this podcast two years ago. So these right. two, being the same show, also are nominated for the award now. Um, to Love Rue Darkness second. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's too And lovely. not only that, it's a, like a legacy thing. Like, this is a new addition to that series. Yeah. Um, and Valkyrie Drive. Alright. You know, it's funny, for all the other nominees who would like, or for all the other awards, we would like have something to say after every nominee. And here's just like, oh, these are the big titty shows. So I have, I have, a, I, I want to at least explain why I put them all on my list. Okay. At least all a right. little bit. Alright. So I have mine. So first we have, um, Testament of Sister New Devil Season 2. And this is exactly what I was thinking about when, like, you try to tell your mom, like, oh, it's about fighting demons and, like, you know, fighting back the things in the underworld, because that's what it's about. Um, but it's also about uh, a man who has suddenly gotten a harem of four women, one of which is the next princess, or, like, the queen of the underworld, yeah. who has to be trained to be able to fight back against everyone trying to steal her throne. But... She gets stuck in this servant-master relationship with the main character due to, like, a spell backfiring, where if she ever tells him no, she gets super horny and has to be, uh, pleasured until- uh, or she'll, like, go mad with the- with the feeling. That's fucking- so that's why that's I on didn't the even list. know about that. That's the worst. Yeah, it really is. Um, then I have To Love Root Darkness second, mostly because it's it's just like a con- it's a thing that has continued on and continues to be maybe one of the least titty of the titty shows, because like everyone's still fully dressed. Yeah, and there's a there there's a plot that is told and it's told okay. Yeah, but it's still very much one of those series. Yeah. Then we have High School DxD Born again, more of the same. Um, literally the advertisement for the, la- the latest season, uh, High School DxD Born is, um, a song from the main character's point of view by that voice actor about how much he loves the titty of these dragon ladies that he works with. A hundred percent. It's like three minutes long. Man after my own heart. <laughs> then I have on here Bikini Warriors, which is... Maybe hitting the point where it's clearly just about the taste too much from the name. Yeah, I don't know about this one. But I think the main driving point of why I put it on there is it's 100% merchandising because all of the characters were originally, um, were originally figmas created as like a loose connection between these things because all of them were created by different artists. And the whole thing is a big merchandising push for that sort of stuff. And it's a short where it's like, oh, these girls go on fancy adventures, but also they're all wearing bikinis because armor or something. All right. And then the last one is Valkyrie Drive Mermaid, which is, um, 
I mean, the plot is just, like, an impressive thing to behold. It's about, like, a fighting tournament, and there are these ladies who are really strong, and they have other ladies who work for them called mermaids, and they're called mermaids because when they get aroused, they turn into weapons, and then they fight with the weapons. And so that's the whole thing. So, like, uh, the the main two characters kiss, and then one of them becomes a giant fucking sword that they fight with. Yeah. And I think in the first episode, there's one where, like, a woman gets, like, spanked or tortured so much she turns into, like, a gun or something. Uh, Valkyrie Drive is bad. Um, I can't believe that Marvelous is doing that. You know, the people behind Sinran Kagura. You'd think they have a little more taste. Yeah, but unironically. Because Sinran Kagura (laughs) is a lot better. So that's Valkyrie Drive, Mermaid. Um, Okay, so I think you have a different answer for this. What's yours? Uh, Mine's Valkyrie Drive. Alright, well, mine's uh, Testament of Sister New Devil. Alright. Either way, none of these on the list should be uh, should be uh, handled with any sort of care. I think maybe Valkyrie Drive wouldn't have been my winner if it hadn't been for the fact that I was endlessly re-exposed to this, uh, to this series this season. Um, <laughs> for reasons that don't need to be explained, but All right. it, it was... I wasn't happy about it. <laughs> I like that they also introduced a character that's supposed to be like, oh, it's a boy, but then, like, partway through, it, like, rips off whatever the, like, I don't know, like, shape that uh, the character had, and someone with, like, triple D boobies. <laughs> like, that's always a weird thing, like, oh, yeah, they were hiding that, that's real. Yeah. I mean, taping is real, but probably well, yeah, not but... with breasts that large. Yeah. And I think it happened because she got horny or something, oh, either way. No. God, anime, man. <laughs> Oh, Sometimes I, I think it doesn't deserve to be defended. But it does deserve it to be does. defended. But not, not, really not these ones. Not these ones, because the next set, also, yeah. is our Worst Anime of the Year award. The Public Anime Number 1 award for Worst Anime. <laughs> Alright, and I'll start with this one. Okay. So on here I have Valkyrie Drive Mermaid for the premise alone. I didn't watch any of it, but I'm going to say that it's bad solely based on what I know about it. Okay. Then I'm going to put Heavy Object on for reasons that have already been stated. Then next up, I'm going to put Yurikuma Arashi, because um, it's an Ikahara thing who has done Utena and did um, Mawaru Penguin Drum before that, both of which very, like, well-regarded for, like, being kind of treating taboo subjects with grace and in a way that didn't feel, like, um, fetishy. Okay. And then also being very interesting ways of telling a story, particularly with, like, Penguin Drum, where it wasn't a... It, it was a very, like, disjointed sort of story where it's, like, between multiple characters, and sometimes things didn't happen in the exact order, so, like, some things would happen in, like, episode four that happened before episode one sort of stuff. Yeah. is a non-consistent timeline. And so there's a lot of interesting stuff, and I feel like Yurikuma Arashi is all of that, but to the extreme... To the point where I was, um, I I ended up being really uncomfortable with it. Like it felt like it hit the taboo thing, but to the point where it very much felt like fetishized as yeah. far as like the whole lesbian thing. Okay, and it was very like g- graphic, and also it the way its storytelling was just really poor for a twelve episode thing where it constantly does flashbacks. Oh, like it like. Even into, I think, episode 9, where I dropped it. 
it was showing things from previous, you know, from before the first episode. Uh. And it just, like, I, again, I understand why it did it, but there are better ways to do that presentation, and it was not it. It is... That that is a tough line to walk. I, I've I've watched an amount of like horror movies that try to uh like cover a subject, like not even necessarily a taboo subject, but definitely like uh dark subjects that are difficult to cover with a certain sense of like restraint, just because they are usually exploitative in really horrible ways. Yeah, like and, very schlocky sort of. Yeah, and sometimes they succeed, and sometimes they don't. And the difference between the two is often like very difficult to put into words. Mm-hmm. So you know. Yeah, so that's that's my issue with Yuri Kunarashi. Oh, okay. So next up on the list, Gakugurashi. I've talked more than enough about it. <laughs> Um, but that's on my worst anime of the year list. And then I want to put one here, and this is one of two on this list that I finished wholly. The first one being Gakugurashi. Okay. This one is a show with absolutely zero redeeming value, but the incompetence with which it was handled, uh, made me enjoy it, but I can still recognize it as probably one of the worst anime of the year. It's Chaos Dragon. Okay. And I've talked plenty about Chaos Dragon, but Chaos Dragon is a mess of storytelling where it tries to adapt a D&D campaign into a novel format and then into the anime format, but basically changes everything that happened in the original D&D campaign. Um, so it's, it's poorly paced. The animation is just not good. I think it's by a basically a new studio and it's very obvious when they use cg because it stands out so much more than everything else and they use cg a lot yeah the plot is incomprehensible on first watch because there's so much stuff you don't know until the end and like players in the uh players in the uh in the story that just don't matter until like the end when suddenly it's just like boom they were relevant for some reason (laughs) it's and like just so many ass pulls and like useless episodes like the just the writing is atrocious on every level none of the characters get any of the screen time they deserve or need in order to be at all worthwhile i think it's need just, is uh, the word you should use not deserve there <laughs> yeah need. you're right it's just such a hot mess of just everything that could possibly go wrong with fantasy writing and anime writing in general mm-hmm but like I, I, I laughed my way through so much of it just because of how incompetent it was. Just from the three episodes that we watched, um, the main <laughs> thing that I noticed, or like the main thing that I guess annoyed me, but not necessarily the worst thing about it, was that all the characters that were player characters in the original D and D were all like really different and all had backstories that sounded like they came out of completely different universes. And they all had very different motivations, and they were all secretly doing the most, the actual most important thing. Yeah, literally, there are three different factions going on, uh, and all of them have a different agenda that you don't know till the end, but it's very obvious they're all working for their own agenda. It's just, it, you can tell that a lot of things, you could tell that it was a D&D campaign and probably not a very good one from a yeah, lot of different things. Because all the all the characters by the guest authors are very distinct and clearly don't fit into the world. Yeah. 
And then all the other ones are like super generic. Yep. Just like impressively. And so that's uh, Chaos Dragon. Now you're five. All right. Let's see. I don't think we have any. Any. <laughs> we don't have any overlap. So that's. I don't that's know. impressive and also terrifying. Yeah. Uh, first on my list is Absolute Duo, just because right. it was such by the numbers type that really shouldn't have been made at all. And I don't think it, I think it bombed, so. Bless. Good. But also, at least that, something's that, it, going right in the anime universe. In a way that makes it worse, because then it's like, not only did this not need to exist, but also the money was completely wasted. Right. Um, and, uh, it could have been used on something better. Yeah. Because at least with like when Sword Art Online makes it big, that company then went on to make other good anime, probably with at least some of that money they made. Right. And here it's just like, man, but like A one. Yeah. Like how A one sometimes makes good things, even though it makes Sword Art Online and Astro's Quarantine. And Gate, yeah. But Ugh. yeah, that's absolute duo. Then there's um Psychono or How to Raise a Boring Girlfriend. Okay. That is a show that, um. It was like White Album, but without any of the White Album Two, but without any of the grace or tact, and a lot more f- sexual assault. Yep. Between family members. Yep. And it was just, and also not family members. Let's be fair. Yeah, sure, but it's still sexual assault was the worst part, uh, the the less good part of that sentence. Right. I just wanted to make sure everyone knew. Yeah. Okay. There are some non-relatives. And it was just, I've, I made, like, I, for a while I made, like, a, a running joke out of how I don't like White Album 2, but that's actually not true. I do like it. Um, it was just that I went into it with the wrong expectations. But White Album 2 plays to a certain, it's, it's super low-key with its emotions, like, maybe one of the most low-key anime I've ever watched, but it's still gripping in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and Psychono tries to do a very similar thing. Uh, but the writing just is not up to par, and also it tries to turn it, still make it a sexy thing, and it just, it just does not come together in any way. Psychono is really impressive in that it is, it is one of those shows that, like, is kind of making fun of visual novel tropes and harem tropes, while literally doing the exact same thing it's making fun of. Yeah. And it almost feels like, they're writing this and they're, they like, oh, they have like a scene where he like gets the boobies on him. And they're like, oh, can you believe that? This thing we just did? Ugh, right? Huh. And so that's like, that's like super shitty writing. It's, in a way, in a way, it's almost weird that this ended up on my list because it, it left no impression on me at all. But when I went through uh, all of the like season anime lists, like once this one showed up, uh, I just, I winced a little bit, and it just all came back to me, just how bad every part of this anime is. Like, it's a parody with no subversion. Uh, yeah. Like, I feel like Gintama, as a parody show, is sort of more of the thing you want to aspire to, in that it's making jokes, while not, like, just, like, going out and about, wow, this really sucks, this thing we did, huh? Yeah, because I think... uh even you can actually like fix that in a relatively simple way where instead of making fun of other things doing the thing you just did you make fun of yourself for doing the thing you just did and right. this series i guess has too much respect for itself to do that yeah cuz i mean like the first the first thing that happens is like a, the main character is giving like his speech about who he is in, like, episode zero. Uh-huh. And then one of the girls looks over and he's typing the exact same thing into the script for the visual novel. It's like, 
wow, that's really wordy and sucks. Wouldn't you want to just get to the point? And then they don't get to the point they, and they keep they don't going. Get to the point. And it's done a hundred percent sincerely. Bad, bad anime. Next up on my list is Komori-san Can't Decline. Uh, so Komori-san Can't Decline is an anime that is based on source material that isn't that... It, it's comedy, and it's ba- based on source material that isn't that funny to begin with. But it does have good jokes from time to time. But the thing that put this on the list for me is just the indescribable and unsurmount- insurmountable amount of titty in this show that is presented in ways that I have never seen before. <laughs> there are parts where she like the main character Komori just moves in like this really minor ways like she just shovels slightly to the side and her breasts just go bouncing all over the place so this is the dead or alive extreme two of anime sure there's a part where just one of her breasts (laughs) bounces there is a part right so it's just like dead or alive extreme two all right yeah this (laughs) comparison is getting more and more accurate the further I get into this but the worst one was definitely when um uh, the, the main male character is just walking home from school, and then we hear Komori-san's voice in the distance, and we see him turn around, and Komori-san walks into the shot, but only her breasts come into the shot. It is, <laughs> oh my god, this show, also the Crunchyroll lady is in it at one point. Yeah, so one thing I learned while he was watching it from, like, a screenshot I saw is that I don't know if this is part of, like, the thing that Crunchyroll did, where it's, like, picking up anime and like co-producing it or something but totally the uh character the crunchyroll teammate i think they call her yeah the the, the mascot the the mascot of crunchyroll is just in the background on like a poster or something advertising an anime or something or telling you to like oh no it's the like we 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 appreciate your patience sort of thing like at at the beginning of shows and stuff yeah delayed so it's like oh oh i i'm glad that this is the manga that Crunchyroll put their faith behind. Yeah. It's just, you know, there's an unrivaled level of titty. Um, maybe not a level, but um, relative amount, considering this okay. is just a short. Right. And it's just, it only had good jokes every once in a while, and it repeated a lot of the same jokes through the episodes. Uh, and it just, like a lot of shorts, like it really, it didn't use its format properly. And it was just not good. So while Kamori-san can't decline, Jordan can definitely decline this anime. Yeah, even though I watched all of it. Right, what a mistake. What a mistake. That's number three. Number four, prison school. Um, I, I <laughs> Much like being in a prison, I was forced to watch this against my will. Um, like half of it, right? Yeah. And going into it, I was expecting it because I knew I had a rough idea of what it was. And I expected it to be gross. To just be, like, some gross titty anime. What I wasn't expecting was just, like, one of the most, like, dire, unenjoyable anime I'd ever watched, but not in, like, an interesting way. Because there are Mm -hmm. movies that I don't want you to watch them. Or they do, but they don't want you to have fun watching them. And this this is a series that is like that. But it doesn't leverage that into being, like, interesting or unique or funny in any way. It's just complete tripe but also just like unwatchably gross at the same time and i didn't even know that those were two things that could intersect but it did into just being this not just this thing that 
Yeah. Like a like a shock sort of like gross out show. Yeah, and if you look at Absolute Duo, that's a show that has no redeeming qualities because all of them are just by the numbers and boring. And this is a show that has no redeeming qualities just because every part of it is as bad as it could possibly be. Um, and that's that's Prison School. It didn't have a single good joke, not even not even one. That's Prison School, and then last on my list uh, is Asterisk War, just because it's sort of online again. Digibro didn't even like it. No. Or enjoy making fun of it. Let's talk about Digibro more. Let's get him on here. Yeah, I'm sure. It's not. No. I mean, I, he's probably an alright guy. Um, yeah. But he's he's busy. He's yeah. a busy man. He's busy hating Asterisk <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a full-time job, you know? Exactly. So much to hate. Alright. Lay it on. So, what's your worst what's your anime winner? of the year. I'm giving it again to Gakko Garashi. Damn. It just, it left that bad of an impression and that bad of a taste in my mouth that I'm willing to say it was the worst anime I watched this year. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, that's how I feel about my winner too, which is Prison School. It's just... Damn. So, I already didn't like it, and then when I found out what the intentions of the author was were, I liked it even less. Oh, do you want to talk about that real quick? So, basically, um, Prison School is, I think, maybe the fifth or sixth manga by a man whose previous shows, all uh, all his previous series were attempts at making something a little bit more serious, something that's supposed to be taken seriously, and maybe... Because, like, like, he did the one about um, the, the blues guy who made the deal with the devil kind of thing. Yeah, just all things yeah. that had some level of depth, at least attempted level of depth, depth in them. Um, and none of those shows, none of those series took off at all. So he was just like, fuck it. I'm going to make this series that's just this descent into debauchery to make fun of fan service. Yeah, it was basically made as like a fuck you to people who didn't take his other stuff seriously. And then it got insanely popular. And that is, um, I mean, I guess that's, that's what you get. That's, yeah. And I don't. I am, like, really not into that thought process. Like, I don't appreciate that at all. Um, and it's just... he Also, he made a whole series dedicated to making fun of uh, Ori Monogatari, and that just puts you on my shit list forever. Oh, was that him? Yeah, that was him. Oh, jeez, so, that guy sucks. Uh, the, yeah, this guy's the worst, and all his, of his other stuff isn't even that good to begin with, so he had no right to be mad that his stuff didn't get popular. <laughs> Prison School well. is just the not... It's worst anime of the year. I mean, what more do I need to say? For me, <laughs> so, at least. Yeah. So, we've had a, a few negative categories, and so we're going to end this the right way. We're going to bring our spirits back up. Like a good ending to an anime. Yeah. We're bringing you back up instead of bringing you down. We're going to talk about our nominees for Anime of the Year 2015. Yep. The Piercing the Heavens Award for Best Anime of the Year. Exactly, and I'd like you to start. All right. Uh, first up on my list is Akagami no Shiryuki Hime. I mean, this is okay. one that we've talked about. I guess not plenty, but we have talked about it in the past. It was yeah. just... Um, this was uh, this last year, and maybe a little bit longer, has been an interesting time for shoujo anime, because <laughs> of a lot of the shoujo anime that cross uh, over into the mainstream, or at least like the anime viewing ma- mainstream, have been these shows that are shoujos but with like a really big thing changed about them to make them also appeal more to the west and especially men in the west 
So you had Ori Moaning Atari, which had the thing where the main character wasn't like, or the main male love interest wasn't the kind of character you'd really expect from a show. Yeah, it was not a typical love interest. And then there was Nozaki-kun, which just flipped the entire shoujo genre completely on its head, like, for comedy. Um, yeah. And, then and there really was, well, let's point yeah, that out. I, I love uh, Nozaki-kun. Um, yeah, it wasn't irreverent or anything, it was just it knew the comedic timings to, like, subvert shoujo tropes. Yeah. Um, and then there was this show, which uh, also had something like that, but to a much lesser degree. And that's that it has <laughs> a main character that's actually competent. Which, I feel bad for saying that, but really that was this show's big thing, is that... Uh, that's, yeah, that, that's an important thing about shoujo, is that generally it gives a very, like, weak sort of female lead. But here it's a very independent sort of character that kind of works to her own level. Like, she's never, she's never just, like, doting on another person. It's always that she has her own goals and she keeps sight of them. Yeah. And I think there's both that, but there's also the fact that to some degree she, like... um surrenders herself emotionally to the prince still yeah but i mean only like in a minor way and that's healthy and i think that's an interesting thing for a series to explore and besides that you know just a great cast it looked amazing just it was a good story it's just one heck of an anime absolutely it was really good yeah uh, so that's that was my number one uh my number two is one punch man i mean i've i've been a or number two on the list is one punch man um, I've been a fan of One Punch Man pretty much for since the uh, the um, Murata version Murata. started. Um, it's just as a manga, it's already great comedy, and the anime elevated it to some degree with some great comedic timing. And obviously, it had to look good, or else it wouldn't be a good adaptation of the Murata version. Mm-hmm. Um, and just perfect, like just great voice acting by whoever did Saitama and everyone else as well. But he, I think, he deserves extra props. Imagine if they'd done it in the one style, though. Uh, all right. <laughs> Just imagine if they... Well, imagine if they had gotten Madhouse to do something that, like, <laughs> that, low quality. That would be funny, but only in a, in a meta way. That would wear out Maybe, its welcome pretty quickly, I think. <laughs> they just do it for the first opening. Yeah. Uh, that, see, that would work. That would have, yeah, that would have been good. Um, just, yeah, just a really great ac- action comedy show that also looked good to boot. Um, the only bad thing about it was... Just the same thing that I don't like about the manga. The, it's occasionally it, it's occasional attempts to actually get serious, which, in my opinion, fall flat every time. Um, but you know that was considering this was just like the first three arcs of the manga compiled. Uh, there was only one of those moments, so that's fine. Yeah. And then the rest was just super good. Oh, and the part where they had the fight scene synced up to the intro music, but except they didn't really. That was also kind of weak. That was a weak thing about episode two. I was like, it's always cool when they do the opening as, like, part of the fight sequence. Yeah. But nothing's synced up. Like, I, like, there's no impact when the, you know, the big yelling of the one punch happens. No. Or, you know, when the chorus hits, nothing's different. Like, I think the mistake they made there, before we, like, just, uh, before we go on a tangent, but the mistake they made there is that they started it on the one punch when really they should have ended it on the one punch. Like, the big yell at the start. Yeah, or even, like, as he gets hit through those pillars, yeah, that would have been a really good, and then like sync up the pillars to the beat. But but really, it's just like I, they animated it, and then afterwards they just slapped the theme song on there. <laughs> but you know, those are like two, maybe one three minute section and one ten minute section in twelve episodes of great anime. So it doesn't yeah. matter. One Punch Man still one of the best series of the year. Mm-hmm. That's number two. Number three, uh, Death Parade. Um, right. 
Death Parade is a show that started off really strong and then ended up only getting stronger. And I've seen a lot of people um, say that they think Death Parade, that they like Death Parade at first, but they thought once it started getting caught up in telling its own mythology, it felt like it lost something. And I completely disagree with that because I think the show found itself once it started going more into its own mythology. Yeah, I think it's, I think it did a good job of balancing like an explanation of what goes on behind the scenes and still giving us like the games and stuff. Yeah. And I think if the show had just focused on a different game every episode, I probably would have still liked it, but definitely not to the degree that I ended up liking it. And of course it was maybe the best looking show of the year. It was, um, just, Great animation and just great use of light and sound and just uh, just camera angles. It was just a tour de force in almost every way. And, like, even when it came to, like, the bigger action stuff that they, you know, the animation, you know, was a lot different. They still were able to pull it off, like the big ice skating section. Yeah. Which you would have never expected from that sort of show. No. But- it was good. So. I think, yeah, and it, and it opens itself up for more content. Like, not every plot thread is finished, like, completely, but more that an arc has finished and another arc may begin. Yeah, and I think it's fine to leave some things open as long as yeah. the main story resolves. Yeah, for sure, and I think that that does it a good job because it gave a single distinct arc with a greater thing going on Yeah, that we only see a piece of because it's such, like, a... I mean, the whole, like, Arbiter thing is, like, a big thing. Yeah. So to only give us a small portion of what's happening is fine. And it's not like in um, Sound Euphonium where storylines are started up and then end up not getting resolved. Yeah, it's like they get... Oh, sorry. In this show, everything that's opened up feels like it is supposed to open up because it's something that the uh, audience surrogate character doesn't know about. But it's not something that has to be resolved because it's something that she might not find out about. Whereas right. with Sound Euphonium, by comparison, uh, if these storylines were never meant to resolve, then we didn't need to see them. Then they could have just yeah. been left out completely. Because a lot of them get a conclusion, but maybe not the last conclusion that they would get. Yeah. Because, like, you, you get to the end and it's like, okay, so Dekim has a heart and it started to sort of activate kind of thing. Yeah. And that goes against sort of what the um, the older guy is worried about, right? Mm-hmm. And so we reach an end to that because now things have opened up. So it's reached a conclusion. It was a success, as it were. But what's going to happen after? Who knows? It's the kind of story that leaves you satisfied and it leaves you on a good emotional note, but also you just want more Death Parade. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's that. So here's hoping for season two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the next up is um, Sakurako-san. Just mm-hmm. definitely the surprise hit of the year as far as like good anime is concerned just such a great combination of like good mysteries and good characters and like good atmosphere uh that i just it just completely came out of left field and it really knocked it out of the park there was maybe like one week episode and sometimes like the resolutions to the mysteries were a little obvious yeah but i think people who compare this to i did like csi or ncis i think that's a little I don't really agree with that because this plays things a lot, a lot lower, like a lot more genuine and gentle and doesn't yeah, really play anything up to keep like an audience excited. It doesn't feel like it has to do that. The mysteries are generally smaller than those. Yeah. 
Because it's a self-contained thing that doesn't end in, like, a big bombastic sort of, like, shootout or anything. It's, like, it's just trying to figure out what happened. And sometimes it's as simple as someone fell off a mountain and died. Yeah. There's nothing... Like, it do- th- there doesn't always have to be a bigger conspiracy to it, I guess. Yeah, but but even beyond that, there's there's no part where uh, two characters are on the same keyboard trying to stop a hacker from breaking in or Sakuroko-san saying a pun and putting her sunglasses on in an attempt to, like, keep... Um, the like keep the audience engaged because it right. it has faith in its own narrative and its ability to tell that narrative and keep it engaging and it succeeded and that's why it was yeah. good okay good job troika uh, and then the final one on the list is disappearance of nagato yuki-chan i guess in a way also mm-hmm. the biggest surprise of the year just because even if this had been good uh, i still probably wouldn't have expected it to make my top five Okay. Uh, but here it is. And maybe maybe it's something that I can't even justify. It's just something that I enjoy so much because it's on an emotional level that you really – that I appreciate and can relate to a lot, but also one that you don't see a lot. Okay. Um, so on one hand, if it wasn't for the fact that uh, Haruhi is such a popular franchise, I would call the series bold in a way. Okay. But, you know, just – it's all the same characters, but – there I, but no Haruhi. Yeah, no, she is in it. Unfortunately. Oh, is she? I thought they. I thought the point was that it was the world minus Haruhi. Uh, it, it is for a while, but it okay. doesn't stay that way. But even Haruhi is, I think, better in this than she is in Melancholy because she gets better characters to bounce off of. Okay. Yeah. Um. So th- there you go. It's Haruhi, but instead of being good, it's really good. <laughs> All right. So my top five. I have Akagami no Shiryukihime and Death Parade both on there as well. Okay. So those two are already taken care of. Yep. Also on my list, I have Tribe Cool Crew, because again, I think, I don't have One Punch Man on my list. And I think, to a degree, I didn't put it on my list because when I watched it, I kind of knew what to expect. Okay. Like, I think for a lot of the ones I, like, when I was making my Anime of the Year Candace list... A lot of them were like big surprises or things I wasn't sure how well they were going to turn out, and they turned out really well. Okay. With One Punch Man, I felt like I knew what I was coming into. It was really good, but I didn't put it on there because it was just like, yeah, this is One Punch Man animated. Yeah. And I guess, and maybe that's you know maybe that's wrong of me not to put it on the list just because of that. But so when I when I put Chad Kuhn on, I've talked about it enough, but it's like there's an emotional core in there that I. Not even, like, felt deeply with, but felt with the characters. Like, the characters all felt genuine enough that it was like, oh, it's great. And there's the balance between, like, kind of goofy stuff and very, like, heartwarming sort of sentimental stuff. Mm -hmm. Especially when it comes to, like, just general friendships and things like that that just, like, really hit me in my core. Like, I really like just feel-good stuff, and this is, like, a perfect sort of, like, children's feel-good sort of show. Cool. When it, and then uh, next on my list, um, I have um, Shigatsu Wakimi no Uso, or Your Lion April, which um, me and Jordan have had several uh, <laughs> fist fights over right. off the air. Shigatsu Wakimi no Uso is, um, there's a very s- particular sort of melodrama that I am very much into, which is, I don't know if Eva I can describe the sort of genre, but Your Lion April is about uh, musicians in a way that have lost lost their sense of purpose due to something big happening to them and trying to rediscover it. And so a lot of it is about the main character struggling to figure out why he why he plays his instrument, why 
he does anything at this point and what he wants, you know, what he wants to do going forward. And that really drew me in because I feel like the characters are relatable and that they have sort of the, they all have kind of a multifaceted look at everything. Like just because you and, you know, just because you enjoy something doesn't mean that it's what you need to do just because it's what you need to do doesn't mean, you know, kind of thing. It's, it's hard to explain exactly what it is about it. The direction was really strong, I think. The music was really good. Um, it's probably, probably the most interesting use of classical music I've seen in a while, just as like doing, cause it's all based around kind of like recitals, tournaments, sort of things to bring this main character back into this competitive musical scene in order to find his purpose, as it were. Yeah. And that sort of storyline is something that really hits strongly with me. And I think especially because uh, for a while I had the same sort of like lost sense of purpose, um, especially as like going through college and not knowing what I was doing. I picked uh, my major predominantly because it was something I was good at, not because it's something I had like a lot of investment in because I didn't have a lot of investment in anything. So that sort of thing just kind of really hits strong with me. So I put it on there. I think this is interesting because this is um, maybe the first thing we've been explicitly positive about that we liked because, or that one of us liked because of the storyline and not because of the general atmosphere. Yeah. With this one in particular, the story has this like emotional core of like second chances and rediscovered passion in the midst of all this adversity. Because like, it's one of those things where kind of tragedies happen in order to push people forward. Yeah. And it has a lot of characters with that same sort of storyline told in different ways. It's not always the same tragedies, it's not always the same sense of purpose or passion, but it shows that all these people have similar problems that they're trying to face, and that really spoke to me. Okay. And then, finally, on there, um, just, I, I put Shirobako on there as, like, just a, a great look into anime as a whole, and a bunch of characters that I came to care about you know despite the fact that it's supposed to be about a whole bunch of characters yeah you get enough out of all of them that you at least feel a little bit for each of them even fucking taro i hate him <laughs> man i don't i think that guy gets way too much hate i well i mean i don't like hate him hate him but it's like he is a perfect sort of character that constantly fumbles and causes like uh causes problems for everyone else but he's still a good guy yeah like, he is a good, I guess, antithesis to everyone else. Where everyone else is working really hard, he's kind of lackadaisical about it, and he's punished for it, but eventually he learns from it. I just think, I just find it really frustrating when people uh, dump on him, because the biggest, uh, like, upset that people always, like, blame on him wasn't really his fault. It was the fault of two other people's clashing egos. Yeah, I feel like Taro's fine. Yeah, Taro. Um, just, like the, the, he, just like the series. Yeah, he's... I mean, if, even on, I think even on, like, the worst case, he's a character you love to hate, because he's still, like, he's kind of a lovable goofball yeah. who just constantly fails. At worst, he's an interesting case. Yeah. So those are my five. Okay. And surprisingly, we both agreed on what the anime of the year yeah. was. Yep. Which one, so, which one of us is going to say it? Oh, shoot. Um, let's just say it both at the same time. Just really excited. All right. All right. So, three, two... One death parade. What? I, I was actually really surprised that you picked this. I was expecting you to pick something else. 
What did you expect me to pay? I, I, don't, I don't know. Or? It was just like because I've been like super vocal to you and Future Friend and other people about how much I love Death Parade, and you haven't really talked to me about it to me or anywhere that much. So I was yeah, expecting it to be maybe something else. Um, I think with Death Parade, um, so I could do like short comparisons to everything on here, but I think Death Parade just has like the most. It has a very diverse emotional core going through each of the episodes. Yeah. Because, like, you have the first one where it's, like, uh, eventually, like, the growing uh, concerns of, uh, of like, unfaithful uh, spouses. Yeah. Then you have the next one, which is all about, like, um, uh, a relationship found too late. And kind of the, the, the like, couples episode. Mm-hmm. Then you have the ones of... The, you know, the guy who doesn't appreciate his mother enough and the, or his parents enough and the parent who doesn't appreciate their children enough sort of thing. Like, constantly as you go through, you have new, different emotions going through all of these characters and their relationships and how they handle them. And I thought that was fascinating because it all handled it really well. It, it handled everything really well. Like, you can, um, you can try to look at it in just a big picture sense like what's good about the show and I think you should I think that's the best way to look at something yeah but if you if you split it up into all the different sections like characters cast music animation storytelling uh, writing what have you all of it was just a plus yeah the fact that they can do so many distinct ideas and stories and handle them all with the same sort of grace mm-hmm. was what's really impressive because you know even like when it comes to like the one with the police officer yeah who deals with, like, that, the, the, like, rape case. Like, when they handled rape, they did not, like, they treated it with enough reverence that it wasn't, like, a weird thing to include. Yeah. Which, like, it felt like it, it felt like it helped kind of the, the, the scenario between the two characters more than it hurt the overall storytelling, which a lot of the times that sort of thing will do. I think, yeah, even in, like, Western media, that sort of thing goes wrong a lot. And then in Japanese media, where um, a lot of, like, weird fetish stuff is sometimes more, um, like, more commonly included in pop culture, so, and that, by definition, would make it harder to take this sort of thing seriously. They still handle handle it with so much care and respect, and which is just rare and impressive. And I think it, like, just throughout its entire arc, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on, like, kind of the the quick escalation of everything that happens in these games to, like, the kind of, the the curve downwards at the end, like, the, just the game of Old Maid that they play with someone. Yeah. And then you have, like, and the connection between that and the original Death Billiards was really neat. Did you catch that? Yes. Yeah. It was... Like, the fact that, the fact that they did a callback to that was really neat. But it wasn't something that, if you hadn't seen Death Billiards, you probably wouldn't even notice. Like, it wouldn't feel like you were missing information. Yeah, no. If you knew the thing, it was like, oh, that's clever. You know, but if you hadn't missed it, you're not, you don't notice anything, it doesn't matter. Like, it's not like you feel like you're missing out on something. And then the final arc with the, uh, with the, like, you know, going back to the living world sort of thing. Yeah. That hit a huge emotional core that... I feel like, you know, usurped even everything else that I had done. Like, knew how to treat that sort of subject matter and how to make it resonate. I'm so glad that I didn't drop the show when originally I was considering it. 
because oh, when were you considering uh, it? like there was like a chain of like two episodes that i thought were definitely the weakest part of the show and at that was point it the one with genti or it is it was the one with the mother and the child and the one that came before that oh okay wait so mother and child and what would have before that was that genti or was that the bowling one i think it was it was a bowling one okay. yeah and i think that of what i thought at that point i didn't like the mother and child episode much at all really uh okay. yeah and i thought uh, that in combination with the episode before it being not really anything special made me think I had seen everything the show had to offer, okay. which was not true. Like at that point, the right. show is barely started, mm-hmm. and I'm just glad I didn't do it because it's my favorite anime of the year by like a lot too. My number two would have been Sakuraku-san, and I like this. I like Death Parade like way more. Yeah, I had a lot of trouble figuring out what I wanted to base my anime of the year on, like what kind of elements, and I feel like just Death Parade was the more consistent of all of mm-hmm. them. Absolutely. God, Funimation, when are you going to put out the Blu-rays for this? Like, please. Yeah, it's weird that Funimation hasn't done it, because they have the dub done, too. They have put... There had, like, when... <laughs> like, the sad thing is that when they have their bad shows, like, their pandering shows, they're ready to put those, the bl- Blu-rays for those out almost immediately. I guess because people will forget about those faster, maybe because they're just kind of... You watch them, and then you got your whatever you wanted out of them, and then you move on to the next thing. Right. Whereas Death Parade is one of a kind, and I'm probably going to go be going back to it many times in the future. Okay. I feel that a lot about the shows just in general that I put on the top five. Yeah, me too. Just ones that stood out in one way or another, and I would be willing to go back and like experience more of. Absolutely. It's It's just like, I feel like some of the strongest shows came this year. So yeah, it was... For in a while it's like the first it's been a while since like i was as emotionally like just wrecked as i was when i was watching like your lie in april or when i just like feeling like this extreme joy of tribe cougar or just like the cavalcade of emotions the death parade was yeah if we had done this last year then it probably would have been oh my anime of the year is nozaki-kun because there was that one really funny part and then but that's just that just doesn't resonate on the same level yeah I get that. And so it just feels like this year in particular had, like, just some higher highs. Yeah. And a lot more, um... A lot lower lows. Yes, but what I was going to say is a lot more, like, (laughs) risky highs, a lot more unique, and, um... Yeah. Yeah. Stuff that stood out. Absolutely, yeah. From the rest. Stuff that really felt like someone wanted to do something... And they really, like, went all out trying to make the series that they wanted to make without compromise, or at least mostly without compromise. Or shows where it just felt like the people who were in charge of it really wanted to do justice to it. Yeah, they cared about what they were making. No, like, I mean, there are plenty of cash-ins, I'm sure. Yeah. But a lot of the ones that resonated ended up feeling a lot like passion projects. Definitely. All right. Good work. That's all of the awards we're giving out. But we have some fan mail that's related to this oh, year right. stuff. I almost forgot. Are you ready? I'm so ready, dude. So f- from beyond the grave, future friend would like to put in his two cents. Oh, I thought we got. I thought we got a fan mail from the main character from Gungrave. Oh, I wish. Hello, Chaco Disaster. It is your old co-host, future friend here. Now, I would have joined in for some hot anime discussion, but unfortunately, I'm currently stuck in a North Korean prison. Not again. Good news, though. They... <laughs> we have to bail him out again. The prices just get super. 
good news though, they allowed me to skip getting fed for a week so I could watch one anime. That anime was One Punch Man, it was pretty good. At the point of writing, I've not yet finished the series though, because I refuse to watch anime without weed, and the North Koreans have taken that away as they consider it food. One Punch Man is a good-ass show about a man who punches everything. It provides some really good action scenes with a mix of absurdist humor that hits me more than it misses, which is a rare sight, to be frank. It's a pretty refreshing look to have an anime free of actual melodrama and bad pathos, and just watch some animated action scenes. If this hostage deal goes through and I'm free from this glorious hell that it is, I would like to make it back to America one day so I could join you again. Glory to the Juge. Future friend. Well, thank you, first of all, for writing this letter from all the way in North Korea. We appreciate the input that you have made. Because One Punch Man is good. It is. But how did that letter make it out of North Korea? Uh, that's a good question. He probably, I don't know. He, he probably, like, made it into, like, a little paper boat. Okay. Uh, that, sure. Yeah, I mean, it made it all the way here. That is, uh, that is a nice and poetic explanation that I'm willing to accept. Alright. So the next fan mail. Uh, Dear Chaco Disaster, who were your top anime girlfriends of this year? Also, will you release the names of your top anime girlfriends of all time? It is very important. As for me, I think my anime girlfriend of the year was Avdol from JoJo's. I think he is very cute, and if he wanted to hold hands, I would be very happy to do so. Sincerely, your Tomodachi and patron saint of anime girlfriends, Maku. Thank you, Maku, for sending in this mail. I think it's very important to consider some of our favorite anime girlfriend characters from this season. I am not... What character? <laughs> I am not sexually attracted to anime characters. I'm sorry. And I, well, unlike a lot of people, I won't have less respect for you if you do, but I'm, but I'm sorry, that's just not me. Well, let's take it in a different direction. Okay. Let's take it as the character that you felt was the best or you resonated with the most. Um... Do you feel like there's a character in particular that, every, you know, every time they show it, it was just like, yeah, that's that's the character I like. Well, that's the character that I like, or that's the character that I can relate to. Yes, either or. Whichever one you feel more strongly about. Um, I feel pretty strongly about Nagato from Disappearance of Nagato Yuki-chan, just because okay. um, she because she's different, very different in the show from her um, her melancholy incarnation, in that she is. Um, like, she is far more emotionally diverse, I guess. Um, but she, okay. she doesn't really express that. But because this time the series is from her perspective, uh, we see, like, all the different, like, feelings that she goes through and the way she reacts to everything. Um, you get more insight into it. Yeah. And I I think she's... It's, like, very relatable that she has. She's, like, very... Um, like, she stresses out about almost everything. And she's, like, fairly... She's, like, really high-maintenance. Um, just like she is, uh, like there's a lot of different things that push her buttons in very different ways. And that's like in so many different ways that it's hard to keep up with. Um, okay. but yet she doesn't express any of that, like frustration or the way she's like constantly dissolving into different emotions because she doesn't really know how. And in a way I can relate to that, or at least I, okay. in the past, I may have been able to relate to that. And I think that was, it, it still it, hit that core where you, you felt for the character. You understood what was going on. Yeah, I could definitely sympathize with her in a big way. Okay. I guess in the same vein of characters that I relate to, uh, keeping it short again because I I think feel like I've talked enough about it, but like the Yearly and April characters, just the main two, uh, Kaori and uh, Kosei, 
just feels like a, this strong dynamic of, you know, like, person who really has their focus set up for one reason or another and one who's completely lost it and needs to find it again. Sort of, like, plays into this sort of emotion that I really, um, relate to and feel like I understand very strongly. And it's just one of those things is, like, every time they interacted and something new kind of got nuanced into their relationship, is like, oh, wow. You know, that that really made me feel, okay. I guess. And then I think we have one more. Here we go. This one, uh, seasonally appropriate, I guess. A little bit late, though. Uh, Hello, what is the most festive Christmas anime of all time, in your opinion? Mine is the most recent episode of Brave Beats that featured a very real and very muscular Santa Claus. From QB. First of all, thanks, QB, Thank for the you. question. Uh, there's a Christmas episode in Disappearance of Nagato Yuki-chan. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's hard because there aren't a lot of, like, Christmas episodes in anime. No. There's K-On. K-On has one. But I think just having a single, like, I was making a joke earlier, just having yeah. a single Christmas episode doesn't really count. There's no Christmas anime, as it were. No. It's all individual episodes, so I guess it's what's our favorite anime Christmas episode. Well, or what's your favorite anime that makes you that has a that has the Christmas spirit in it? Because what's an right. anime that has a stronger Christmas spirit that one that sends out that feeling without actually needing to have a Christmas episode? Yeah. Hmm. That's a good question. What is Christmas? I don't know. I've never done it. What? 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 Uh, anyways, K on. You know, Kaon has a really good Christmas episode. It, oh, yeah, it does, actually. Just everyone gets together, has a good time, shares presents, put up the tree. It's great. Yeah. It's a nice, strong Christmas episode. Other Christmas episodes that exist. Apparently, there's one in Nagato Yuki-chan. There is. It was very good. There's one in Tribe Pool Crew, where the gang has to uh, has to pretend to be Santa and reindeer uh, at a orphanage, because the other one uh, threw out his back. Mm-hmm. And then they do a cool dance remix set to sleigh bells <laughs> of the opening theme. It's really good. Oh. Uh, Brave Beats has one where they dance with Santa, and he's very big and muscular. I feel like I'm missing other ones, but those are the ones that immediately spring to mind. Christmas is great. Yeah. I do I do enjoy a Christmas. I think that's all the awards we have for this year, then. And all the fan mail. Mm-hmm. So I hope you enjoyed the 30th annual... Chaco Disaster Anime of the Year Awards. Here's to here's to number thirty-one. If we're, if we're all still alive by then. Exactly. As long as anime's still good by then. But until next time, I've been Chorpsaway. I've been Jordan. And this has been Chaco Disaster. See ya. Goodbye.